I'm not sure if anybody checked, but it is Friday, November 5th. We want to welcome you to Real Talk. Thanks for making time for us this morning. We're feeling rowdy. I'm not going to lie. We're feeling rowdy today. And I'm, and I'm not sure because we're about to. Well, no, you know what? We're, I was like, we're about to dig in on a big political conversation. It's Barry Morishita. Barry's a buddy of mine. Barry's expecting a few tough questions about the Alberta party. He wouldn't have signed up. He'd be like, why do you think I'm here? Why do you think I'm here? You th- you th- were you under the impression I was going to tipsy toe in the tulips? I'm not here to do that. Barry Morishita wants to. Do I say resurrect the Alberta party? We'll pick our language when he's live so we can interact with him. But that's coming up. Plus a cop 26 themed real talk roundtable. The producer of this show, Sarah Hoyles, has lined up a dynamic duo of climate commentators. And we're going to get into my questions and yours as submitted on our live chat and the hashtag. Real Talk RJ as we get into this Friday edition of the show, wrapping up our broadcast to podcast week. This show would not be possible without the amazing support of the team at Bitcoin. Well, their founding CEO, I hope, took a few minutes today to or this week to reflect on what it means to be named a top 40 under 40 by Edify. Congratulations to Adam O'Brien. I don't think Adam will care that I reveal this, that I pull back the curtain. Adam and I have known each other for years. As a matter of fact, I've known Adam since he was like just a pop. He was like 21 or something like that and already just hammering it out of the park. Like he's one of these guys where you, you'd meet him and I'm, I'm about, uh, what am I? I'm literally 15 years older than Adam, but we're pals. And uh, he was like 21, 22. And you're like, this, this guy's going to do stuff, right? Mm-hmm. One of these. And uh, it's always been like, hey, man, you want to go for lunch? We always go for sushi. You want to go for lunch? You want to go great? You want to play some golf? Guy, why am I telling you all these personal things about Adam? He's going to be like, why are you saying all this stuff about me? But there's insight that you can tell. When I tell you something, what I'm about to tell you about Adam, it's insight into everything. Bigger picture stuff. He's like 5'10", probably 5'9". He's probably like 160 pounds. Like he's kind of a slight <laughs> you guy. You really going just personal. Wait, just wait. But here's the, here's the kicker. Here's the deal. Here's the detail that matters. And, and the golfers are going to know what I'm talking about. So Adam's like 5'10", probably 160. <laughs> Hits the ball. Literally. I've witnessed it 50 to 100 times. Hits the ball like 330 yards down the fairway. Every time. Is that good? Da- oh. <laughs> I'm it's like it's, I don't it's, know it's, anything it's, about golf. It's three and a half football fields. I mean, that's a long... Really? Is it too early to say it's a long fucking way? I hit the ball like I'm a, I'm, a, I'm like 210 pounds. Like, I'm, you know, I'm a kind of a guy that walks up and he's like, got the big stick. And, oh, Jaspo, the big stick. Go hit the big, big stick, big ball. First of all, all I do is slice. I send it into the. Why? This is the Bitcoin. Bitcoin Wells, like, can you please talk about our business for a second? No! I'm talking about your founding CEO. Whoa! We've never heard this part of the. No, we have never been this deep into the song You've never gone this deep into the mansion. I'm I'm liking it. uh, Was this like a xylophone? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, wow. If I would have known that this music bed went here, I would be rambling about Adam's golf game every day. Oh, yeah. So I'm the guy with the big stick. (laughs) Out of context, that's quite a statement. And, but I never land. I'm never on the fairway. Ask anybody that golf. So I'm in the trees. I'm lost. I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a gong show. I'm like the who am I? Like if Chris Farley was a golf game, that would be my golf game. 
but everybody wants me in their foursome. <laughs> so every time Adam and I golf, I, I feel like I got to... And, and here's the thing. with Off the tee box, the harder you try, like everything else in life, kids, the harder you try, the worse you're going to perform. So I try to hit it. I, I, I try to hit it into the parking lot, and it just means it's going to be a disaster. So a great drive for me is like 270. 280 is like a great drive for me, and it's never going to be on the fairway. And then Adam just steps up, and he just smiles. He just wears running shoes. He just smiles. He just shows up, and whammo! And he's doing the exact same thing with his business. You knew I was going to bring it back to something to do with Bitcoin. Well, but it's insight into Adam. I knew from the very beginning when I met this guy like eight years ago that he was going to do something special, and he is. And the top 40, I mean, I'm joking around here and being an idiot, but honestly, I'm so proud of the guy. It's because what he's doing with Bitcoin well is different than all the other stuff. You're going to go, why don't I just buy Bitcoin on ShakePay? Like, we're not going to, it's real talk. We don't pretend like there's some, there's not other apps. This mention's like eight minutes long already. I, I think that this means we can charge them more next month. They're getting their Bitcoin worth. But people are going to say like, oh, I have all these apps. I can just buy Bitcoin on apps. Why do I need Bitcoin? Well, there's a reason why they're one of the Globe and Mail's fastest growing companies in Canada, because they're providing a service, advice, expertise, reliability and trustworthiness that, quite frankly, is lacking in the world of cryptocurrency in some circumstances. That's why we are proud to support Bitcoin well and they do the same for us. You can find them under the sponsors tab at RyanJesperson.com. This is Real Talk. Here is my dad, Ryan Jesperson. Thank you, Wyatt Rudy. I love you to bits. Coming up in just a second, the leader of the Alberta Party, the new leader of the Alberta Party, Barry Morishita. Now, he's been on the show several times before. You can say, yeah, Barry Morishita. He was the mayor of Brooks. Correct. Now he's looking to take Alberta's third place political party. And he wants to drive. Barry Morishita wants to be premier. That's what he wants to do. And we're going to find out how. But first, what's the buzz? What's the word on the street? Sarah Hoyles is keeping an eye on it this morning. And there was breaking news. I mean, you and I literally, as before we hit the mics, uh, you you just saw something across your ticker. Uh, we talked yesterday uh, to, to Negan Sinclair about, I mean, about a million things. Loved that conversation. Mm. One of them was about former Prime Minister Jean Chrétien, who's been doing this uh, just a bizarre tour where he's been saying these sort of mind boggling things. Um, you, you sort of feel like it would be better. He doesn't need to. That's I've learned thing. so much in recent uh, months and years about uh, perspective. I'm already going off on a tangent, which is surprising considering how focused the show has already been this morning. <laughs> but I was about to say something about Jean Chrétien that actually people would say, you know what, Jesperson, that's ageist and you're being a bit of a dick. And so I'm not going to say it. Uh, it doesn't. It's not relevant what I was going to say about Jean Chrétien, uh, but he's in his advanced age. Mm. And sometimes but when people are at that stage in life, they start to just kind of say things that don't really fly the only problem is he's a former prime minister in the entire country's listening mm. and uh and uh, a pretty significant development hoils in response to some of his recent comments yeah um so treaty eight the sovereign nations of treaty eight are calling for the international criminal court to investigate former prime minister jean Chrétien for his involvement in crimes of genocide wow um that just came in like at eight thirty. I have I have sort of initial reactions, uh, 
that are going to come across because they are as cynical and dismissive. And uh, and um, I'm just my initial reaction is, yeah, that's not going to happen. But I don't mean it in a way that's disrespectful to the initiative or to the people that are that are that are, you know, putting this forward. Um, I think it's not going to happen for the exact same reason that everything around residential schools happened <laughs> is that there's really been no accountability. Mm. And I'm not sure. And I'm not saying there shouldn't be. I mean, quite frankly, when you start talking about war crimes and genocide and when we start invoking those very meaningful words, it harkens back to things like World War II and the Third Reich and Nazi Germany. And and I, quite frankly, um, nothing warms my heart more than seeing a 90-year-old in handcuffs being hauled into court to answer for something that I'm not going to say only men, but typically he did, uh, you know, these these guards at Auschwitz, you know, these these SS you know, sort of like high ranking officers, et cetera, that uh, that that basically murdered people, uh, murdered tons of people and then got away with it and then went about their everyday lives. Right. Like a bunch of them, they moved to the United States or they moved to Paraguay. A bunch of them went to Paraguay and they got away with it for like decades they were like in Germany or Austria living these these lives. They like raised families and everything flies under the radar. And maybe they changed their name or altered it a little bit. So nobody really knew, but they got away with it. And then finally, accountability knocks on their door and says, we don't give a fuck. If you're 94 years old, you're going to answer for this. Mm. Um, but we haven't seen it when it comes to residential schools. And this has been one of the conversations that I don't think, you know, we've, we've, we've heard the idea pop up on Real Talk as we've talked to people about, you know, you know 215, 751, Negan yesterday pointing out 6,000, yeah, you know, 6, more than 6,000 children. Uh, I saw somebody tweet yesterday, we can raise the flags again when all 6,000 children have been named and are accountable, right? But in these conversations, we've heard some people say there needs to be accountability. Many of these people are still living. Many mm -hmm. of the people that were at these residential schools that were abusing these children are still alive. And quite frankly, this, uh, you know, sometimes you say, oh, the little old lady or the little old fella crossing the street. Let's look out for them. Let's be patient when they're at the grocery store taking six minutes to write a check to pay for their loaf of bread. We, we, we everybody respect your elders, respect the elderly in this situation. I'd like to see all these people hauled in front of courts. But I don't think. Uh, and I hate to be negative on this. I hate to be pessimistic on this. I don't think it starts with former Prime Minister Jean Chrétien. What do you think? What was your initial reaction when you saw the headline? Uh, right? <laughs> right? <laughs> that. And and literally, like, so we're on at 8.30 Mountain Time, uh, 10.30 Eastern. Uh, you saw this. We heard about it uh, at like 8.28. So this was like right away. So we haven't a lot of uh, time to process it or, or dig up the details. You know what I think is important is that the initiative at least is going to get people like us and, and real talkers that are going to hear this. It's going to get us talking about it. You know, it's going to get people considering what does accountability look like? We're talking a lot about reconciliation, right? We know, listen to survivors, obviously, listen to elders, listen to the people that have been telling us about this for, for many years, for decades in some circumstances. Uh, there's not been really this like national movement toward accountability, right? No. Would you agree? 
absolutely. I, I mean, there's always that pushback, like, whoa, 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 whoa. It's not genocide. It's cultural genocide, which is like what genocide light. I always kind of wonder with 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 which people with people like that that need to dig in. It's like, what interest are you serving when you need to dig in and say like. You know, 6,000 kids. I mean, they had them, they had them like eating, you know, like Negan said yesterday, you know, the last week's oatmeal scraping the mold off the top. Or we heard the story the other day uh, in response, as a matter of fact, to former Prime Minister Kretchen's comments about he, he said, I went to boarding school in Quebec. I understand. I understand what it was like. He said, I went to boarding school. Um, you know, it, we got like porridge and beans and that was it. And uh, and and uh, an indigenous commentator chimed in on twitter and said my parents are residential school survivors and to give you a sense and i already told the story on the show but they said to give you a sense they remember that when there was fresh duck when there was fresh duck meat at the residential school the the priests and the nuns got the duck and the uh, native kids got a vat of boiling water with the duck's feet in them they put the duck's feet in there to like i don't know add a little flavor i mean like that that to me that that comment just i've been walking with that for about two weeks now because it just says so much. You imagine these kids torn away from their families. They had to, like Negan said, I know I'm quoting that. I keep referencing that interview yesterday. You have to watch it if you didn't. He says, these are kids that were fighting to be able to love their parents. And I think of them, I think of these kids uh, just torn up inside, being abused physically, emotionally, mentally, in many circumstances, sexually, uh, being, being, having their language beaten out of them, no nutrition, no sense of culture, no warmth. Like, <clears throat> I mean, as a father, I think when I put my kid to bed, I think of all these kids. I mean, man, I get all torn up thinking about residential. Obviously, sorry to state the obvious, but they didn't even like they, you know, on top of it all, going hungry every single day. I mean, it's infuriating. The more you think about it, and I know that I feel like this audience thinks about it because, you know, we have these conversations all the time. We know who, the type of person that tunes into this show that downloads this podcast. You're engaged. You give a shit. It drives me nuts. It's uh, it, it's it's completely unacceptable. And and quite frankly, I'm embarrassed. I'm embarrassed that that it took us so long to talk about it. I'm embarrassed the way that the country's handled it. If you were to put me on the spot right now, okay, Mr. Big Shot, you think you know so much, you blow hard. What's your big idea on how to fix this? Part of it would be, I think that we need to make an example of a few people, and I think there need to be some charges laid, and I would like to see some people tried. There's no statute of limitations for abusing children. It also happened, I mean, the last residential school closed in the 90s, so this is not, this is not ancient history. Like, I'm like, I was in high school, and residential schools were still operating, Right. This isn't like one of those things where you're like, you know, back in the day when when women couldn't vote and the street lamps were powered by by whale blubber, uh, something happened. Uh uh-uh. uh. Now, this is when like Michael Jordan was winning championships and, and people had cell phones and, and, and a few people had email addresses like this was relatively recently last 30 years. So, man, we're, oh, I just got a little fire in my belly this morning. I appreciate you bringing that to our attention. There's a lot of other things to talk about. We'll get to them later in the show, but Barry's hanging tight. I don't want to just leave Barry hanging. So so let me remind you real quick that the teams at St. Albert and Sherwood Dodge, weekends are obviously big in the car business. They know that a lot of you, especially now, it's getting a little bit colder. <laughs> I'm envisioning somebody that's going to go into St. Albert Dodge tomorrow to, like, to get like their snow tires swapped on, and they're going to walk out of there with a new Grand Cherokee L. 
So why not? I mean, right now, it's their biggest sale of the year. They've got over 650 vehicles in stock at Sherwood Dodge. For the first time in 14 months, selection's never been better. Plus, they've got their pre-owned selection, 0% financing on approved credit. And of course, get this, for all trade-ins, they're offering U.S. dollar equivalent. Really, really great incentives for you. You can check them out online. You can shop online if you like, or at least make contact with them under the Sponsors tab at ryanjesperson.com. Also, a huge shout out to our friends at Eden Landscaping. You can find them online at landscapeedmonton.ca. And I always mention the website because that's where you can go check out their portfolio, check out the work they've done. I mean, the proof is in the pudding. I mean, the photos are spectacular as they bring outdoor spaces to life. They do not shut down in the winter months. Mike's busy with his design team putting plans together for spring construction. Plus, they're still putting stuff together in people's backyards. You want to be able to barbecue under the cover of a brand new gazebo or pergola in the middle of February? They can make it happen literally right now. No, like I'm, I'm speaking like literally right this minute. If you call Mike, he will drop his breakfast and he will be at your house swinging hammers before you know it. You can find him online at landscapeedmonton.ca. That's Eden Landscaping. All right. This next guy has been a good friend of the show. I very much like Barry Morishita because I know that his heart's in the right place. He understands public service. He's been the mayor of Brooks. He's been the president of the AUMA. That's the Alberta Urban Municipalities Association. But he signed up for a big challenge and he knows it. The Alberta party finished third in the most recent provincial election. But it was not a joke. 172,000 votes from Albertans, but no seats in the legislature. It's enough to drive Alberta, Alberta party supporters up the wall. So what does the next election look like? Let's find out. Barry, kind enough to join us this morning. Welcome to the show, my man. It's good to see your face again. Uh, thanks a lot, Ryan. It's great to see you as well. Hey, yeah, let me, let me ask you. I know you don't mind like curveballs and, and sort of random starts to interviews and those types of things. I mean, Hoyles brings up this story about Jean Chrétien and the International Criminal Court and, and Treaty 8 calling for it. And, and part of me is feeling, to be honest with you, Barry, a little bit cynical and, and I feel like nothing's going to happen, but I don't ever want to sort of approach things in life that way to just brush them off because I don't think they're realistic. But on the justice side, um, and I know that this might not have anything to do with the Alberta party, but I just I value your opinion. Are you a little surprised that there's really been no initiative to, to pull some of the, the real harm doers in front of judicial accountability when it comes to residential schools? I, I know that you care about this issue. You and I have talked about it before. Yeah, no, you know what, Ryan, I think the, the, the word that you said, the operative word is accountability. I, I think people have to be accountable for their actions. And that's why it's so important for governors to think about what they're doing beyond what they're doing for themselves. And, uh, you know, it's another example where self-interest is being served. And so, yeah, no, I think accountability is important. And, uh, you know, I, I'm, not an, I'm not aware of how the federal system works, works and, and that part, but... Mm. You know, that uh, gives people faith back in the system that um, their people are going to be held to a standard that's uh, going to be better for society. So. Yeah, I know. I just I feel like there's all these 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 people. The, 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 I mean, in some cases, like, to be honest, uh, like, let's cut to the chase. There are rapists and murderers walking around that, that have had a cakewalk for, for the last number of decades. And uh, it's just unacceptable to me. That's not why you came on the show today. I appreciate you taking the question. That's how you and I roll. We catch up. We talk about things that matter. You took on a big assignment, 
my man. I mean, you could have been you could have been comfortably the mayor of Brooks. You know, you would have been reelected. Everything would have been cool. You can collect your salary, do your public service, feel good about it. Instead, you're like, hell no. You're like, I want to step into the ring. Alberta provincial politics, never a dull moment. Now the leader of the Alberta party. Congratulations on that. What have the last few weeks been like for you? Uh, you know, they're, they're really busy, really positive. You know, Ryan, I think it's important. Uh, you said, you know, people can sit back, uh, but you know, I, I love this province with all my heart and soul and uh, my family is here. My friends are here and it just, it came down to uh, it had to be the thing to do. You know, um, Alberta has so much potential. There is so much out there uh, that we have, we can take advantage of and work together and so that's what we're doing. We're out there banging on doors and meeting people and gathering up the team and uh, looking forward to making a, a very, very uh, big impression in the 2023 election. We were talking about this conversation, uh, promoting it over, over the last couple of days. And I said, Barry's going to expect some fastballs and the show's called Real Talk. And, and, we're, and we're and we're not going to tiptoe around like, let's get right to the point. Um, uh, let me tell you what my friends think about the Alberta Party. They think the brand is great. They've had faith in and interest in the Alberta Party before many have donated. They've voted for the Alberta Party. And right now, I'm going to tell you, Barry, a lot of them are saying we think the ship has sailed. We, we, we think yeah. that the wind's out of the sails and, and I keep hearing it. So what are you telling people that feel that same way? Well, I, you know what, you know, for the last three, two elections, and I, I hope not a third, but for the last two elections, Albertans have constantly voted against something out of fear. They've been mad and angry. Uh, you know, they voted against Jim Prentice and the PCs. Uh, they voted against Rachel Notley. Uh, you know, there's a lot of division and conflict in our politics on a daily basis. And, you know, Albertans are tired of that. And I'm, I'm saying to them that the reason uh, I'm leading the Alberta Party and why you want to look at the Alberta Party is because we stand for you and with you. And it's time that Albertans actually had a choice that served their purpose rather than uh, 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 the least of the worst two options, so to speak. Yeah, and Fear I, I, guides I, I, a lot of us, Bill, and it's it's not good enough for politics right now. I would agree with you, and and actually, it drives me nuts when politics, and in particular elections, come down to voting against something. It's the least inspiring exercise that anybody can take part in. So you say we're going to fight for you, we're with you, but but who? So what's the identity of the Alberta Party for people trying to figure it out? So, you know, the, the thing about the, I had a, had a really good meeting the other day in Medicine Hat and, and one of the gentlemen that was with me said, you know, uh, we shouldn't be letting ideology get in the way of doing the right thing. And, and that's kind of in a nutshell what the Alberta Party is about. If we get in a room with people that care about a solution that are actually interested in the outcome and not how it serves their political, uh, you know, agenda, we're going to do great things together. And that's what I've done in my past as a mayor, in my uh, role as AUMA president. There are so many uh, great solutions out there. We just have to bring them in and do the right thing. We have to be outcome oriented. Uh, we have to consider that people are the reason that we're here and uh, quit worried about, um, you know, making a great political statement. Let's maybe do some uh, really hard work and some good work for Albertans because that's what they want from their government. So give us some insight into what you're, I mean, I, I, Barry, I just, you know, I have a lot of respect for you. I just think what you signed up for is going to be so exhausting because I know that you got to fundraise first of all, which is not necessarily 
easy. I mean, you, you know, you're, you got to I mean, what, what does it cost to, to be a player in the next election? Like over easily over. Yeah, you got to raise a couple million bucks. Right. And then I know you're going to want to you're going to want to run 87 candidates and you yeah. don't just want to be plugging names in like, you know, I don't need to take cheap shots at other parties. But, you know, some of the, oh, we're running all these. These are terrible candidates. You want legitimate candidates in every riding. So you got to go literally to 87 different communities and find the perfect person i mean this is a tall order yeah well you know what the perfect people are already coming out ryan like i've been approached by so many people who are interested in running uh who want to know uh what um myself and the alberta party stand for uh, what they can expect in the next uh 500 days uh the, the fact is is yeah you know this is hard work and uh we shouldn't forget that and uh we do have to raise money and we do have to get people to sign up and we do have to get them to volunteer all of those things uh, are, are what we got to work on. And I'm doing that every day. Now, the good thing about it is that every day there's people coming on board, helping me do that. There's people talking about, uh, you know, volunteering, getting CAs going, um, recruiting candidates. Uh, I've met with just some amazing people in the last few weeks that have great solutions for Alberta that the Alberta party is going to be a part of but barry you know uh, you and i you and i both know that that it's just and and i've like i i i want to be an alberta party guy like i do i am one of the people that wants to be an alberta party guy but but people will and i we have these conversations with people all the time that'll just say but it's just not like it just hasn't had teeth you know what i mean you know exactly what i mean like people people don't quite understand what it stands for people don't quite understand what it's all about people you know and 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 i think that like there needs to be something and i don't and i can't put my finger on it and i'm sure that your plot i bet this keeps you up at night but there needs to be something that happens where people go that's what the alberta party is all about that's what i can hitch my wagon to you know what i mean well you know what ryan you're going to be able to see some bold ideas come from the alberta party the, the, there's an there's an incredible amount of of things that need to be done in this province and directions we need to go and really the only way to go is to to uh, plot out a, a bold strategy to do it and that's uh, in education healthcare uh, economic development post secondary education education there are just some amazing opportunities for Albertans to move forward and that's what you're going to hear from the Alberta Party as we go forward okay so Barry you know, it, no go ahead. Yeah. No, you know, and I'll, I'll take, I'll give you one, I'll give you one example. You know, there is so much the provinces involved in, right? Um, and, you know, they, uh, they, they take the money, they set the rules, they watch, people watch what they're doing. We had to break the mold of these things. Um, you know, there's so much capacity out there, but we're just, we, we don't trust anybody else. The provincial government wants control of everything. As an Alberta, as the leader of the Alberta party, I'm saying, and we need to decentralize things. We need to move things out to communities. Communities have great capacity and solutions. They're not all the same. Those kinds of ideas have to resonate. They resonate and they're practical. Uh, right now we have solutions slapped on four and a half million Albertans. They clearly aren't working. All we're asking for is the opportunity to do the right thing for our communities. And I can guarantee that the Alberta party will give communities those options. Okay. So this is, so this is, I'm not surprised to hear it. I'm not surprised to hear the former president of the AUMA. I'm not surprised to hear a for which Brooks is rural, right? We can say rural. I mean, Everything outside of Calgary and Edmonton. Is yeah, yeah. You know, a, a, a rural mayor. I mean, I'm not surprised that your awareness is 
heightened uh, that municipalities are ready for an improved relationship with the province. So that's a tangible promise you're going to make. Let me ask. So Heather's tuned in right now and she says my pause with the Alberta party, which I think is a positive. It's her pause. It's not her stop. Her pause with the Alberta party. She says, I just don't know what they stand for. Not against ideology, but what are they for? She says, you know, people perceive the UCP to be for business, the NDP to be for social or people issues but what does the alberta party stand for well you know in in deference to heather's you know wanting to know what we stand for i guess it comes down it comes down to people uh and the province the the fact is is that not every solution is bent from one perspective and we've had poor policy and poor government to be quite frank in the last three or three terms or so because uh, we haven't considered how other ideas are good ideas. You know, I look at what's happened in the last couple of weeks and, and I see that some of the proposals put on and some of the details in those proposals, there's some good ideas there. And you know what else? They would benefit from a better collaboration with stakeholders and uh, maybe even uh, the uh, party across the floor to contribute to the betterment of that. That's what we stand for. If you want better government, if you want government that actually listens to you and then isn't afraid to say, hey, that was a great idea of yours. The fact uh, that, you know, we don't, I'm not the smartest person on the planet. In fact, I, I'm, you know, I'm going to govern with the very smartest people around me to make those good things happen. Uh, the pause shouldn't be with where we come from or what we stand for. The pause should be is how we're going to fix problems in Alberta. And I can guarantee you, guarantee you 100% that no one will do that process better than we do because we're not predetermined. Uh, we're going to uh, make sure that we understand the issues. And we support people that are willing to help us make the best decisions. Okay, well, I know that I'm going to stay tuned. I know a lot of people are going to be interested in sort of like tangible, like bing, bang, boom. Here's what we're about. Here's how you can pin us. People have this obsession, whether it's with talk hosts or politicians or political parties or whatever. They need to be able to pin you down on the spectrum. They need to be able to understand where you're at. And I know that people will be curious to see what that exercise uh, winds up looking like. Um, Barry, I've got to move on to a roundtable here. But in closing, I want to ask you about I mean, this is sort of an obvious you, you know as well as I do anytime someone's having coffee or beers and the Alberta party comes up everybody's going to talk about Greg Clark the, the the sort of vision or or let me say the the uh, the uh, the endeavor to conduct a leadership race that could obviously generate interest and sell memberships and raise money and oftentimes that's what a party hopes for um, and ultimately it, it sort of opened the door for for Stephen Mandel to lead the party into the election and and part of me thinks that Part of the reason they got 172,000 votes and change was because of the credibility of Stephen Mandel. But I hear from a lot of people saying that when Greg Clark was essentially they perceive it to be disrespected and run out um, and Steve Mandel came in. That that's when a lot of people walked away. And I kind of get this impression that the Alberta party right now with with regards to either official supporters or potential supporters, there's kind of these two camps. There's the OGs that would side with Greg Clark. And then there's the sort of former progressive conservatives. And I talked to a couple yesterday um, that that I think are, are open minded and actually are really curious. They're looking forward to this interview. And, and I think that they want this to be something. And they don't think that the whole Stephen Mandel thing was such a bad idea. Do you have some fence mending to do within the party right now as a result of that followed over the last few years? 
Well, you know, I, I, I've met with everybody. I've actually talked to Greg and Stephen about, uh, you know, leadership and the party. And I, I, and I think sometimes we make too big a deal about uh, the past. Mm. Uh, the fact is, is that Alberta's future is at stake here. And the Alberta party, uh, with the way it goes about things, myself, with the way I go about things, we are the best option for Alberta. And uh, I hope people will pay attention to that. We have our AGM this weekend where we're getting some... Uh, Half of a new board set up. Uh, you're going to see a lot of activity in the future. And uh, I hope people uh, consider that um, the best option is is me. I, I, I think I can be a, a much better premier than either of our options right there because I'm uh, willing to uh, take risks and I'm willing to lean on Albertans who are, are in these communities across this ton, uh, province, including Calgary and Edmonton, because they're all built, we're all built on communities. And uh, if we're going to, if they're successful, Alberta will be successful, and and that's the road to take. And we're going to uh, do everything we can to make sure people understand that, and uh, and get there in 2023. All right. Well, listen, I don't have to tell you that this audience will be will be keenly. Uh, aware of anything that develops this is the type of thing I mean we're, we're always looking for for you know the buzz around political movement and political identity and of course th- this this idea that Alberta is a two-party state right now I know you've got something to say about this so we'll stay tuned to see what develops Barry you know obviously as a friend and, and as a and as a talk host I, I wish you well and I'll look forward to future conversations thanks for doing this today yeah, thanks, Ryan. Have a great weekend. Yeah, you got it. That's Barry Morishita, uh, former president of the AUMA. He's now the leader of the Alberta Party. You can let me know what you think about this. Deborah said, "This is a this is a fair comment." Deborah says, "For a risk taker, he's being pretty careful." That's a fair comment. But Barry also right now he's I you know I mean what do I want Barry to do? I want Barry to come on the show and say we're going to implement. A provincial sales tax. We're gonna we're gonna do this. We're gonna do that. You know, and 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 I, I bet you that the party executive or his advisors or maybe even just his internal sense is going. Now is the time just to build some buzz around. There's new leadership. We're open minded. We're bringing people into the party. Part of me thinks you're, you're going to bring people into the party with bold vision, mm. right? Like like you know, people go like, is the Alberta Party a conservative party? Yes, for sure they are. I would say, right? Small C conservative. They're they're well. All parties in Alberta are conservative. <laughs> that is a totally fair comment. <laughs> the NDP is a conservative party. They are. Yes. <laughs> That's a fair comment, Hoyles. Um, I know. You know. I think <laughs> you're like. That's why I fucking said it. <laughs> it's like what people say to me. Good question. I go. I know. That's why I asked it. Um, no, but uh, you know, people are sort of going like, okay, vo- votes matter. Uh, I'm sort of hesitating right now because I'm going, we have a roundtable ready to go. And all the last thing I want to do is burn time on stating the obvious. But for people to be convinced that it is not Rachel V. Jason or Rachel V. Whomever's leading the UCP next election. I don't think it's going to be Jason Kenny. If it is, Rachel Notley can put the champagne on ice right now. Just keep changing out the cubes. Keep it cold. Um, Barry Morishita and the Alberta Party has to convince people that that, that their vote, that these the, the votes are so valuable, right? Was, uh, had an opportunity to go to Kevin Lowe's retirement gala last night. His rafters going up tonight at Rogers Place. And congratulations to him. Number four for the Edmonton Oilers. Six Stanley Cups, one in New York with Mess. I mean, unbelievable. Messier was there last night. 
saw him from the table. He's like, what's up? I was like, what's up? I Get like, out of the town. Whole, the whole table's looking at me. It's like all these CEOs and me, just this pleb and messy. I was like, what's up? I was like, what's up, Moose? <laughs> if you missed our interview with Messier, you could check it out. I'm still right. I'm obviously still thrilled about that. But people were talking about the recent, obviously, all these all these movers and shakers in this room last night. Everyone's still, you know, Amarjeet. So he's there, the new mayor of Edmonton. Premier was there last night. Randy Boasno was there, member of parliament for the liberals. Wow. Uh, yeah, oh, it, was, it was a big room. And, and people are talking around our table. People were talking about the municipal election. And, of course, that turns into talk about the upcoming provincial. We say upcoming. Two years from now, the provincial election. And how every vote, I mean, people just, their vote is like so important and people put they watch these online forums and they spend so much time thinking about who they're going to vote for but you know what was the common theme last night hmm. everybody admitted to voting to stop someone or to stop something uh. nobody no i'm saying my experience last night and talking to the people around this table everybody was saying well we hmm. couldn't let so-and-so win blankety blank blankety blank <laughs> so we voted for what's his face Right. No one was like, I was moved and inspired by the promise to do this. And so I gave them my vote. No one said that. I if I had been at that table, I would have said that. Oh, you would have been. I knew you'd be such a shit disturber around that table. <laughs> Me? I'd be Me? like, I'd be like, hi, everyone, everyone, Sarah Hoyles, Sarah Hoyles, everyone. Sorry in advance. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I love you, and you could be my plus one anytime Carrie can't make it. Deal? Deal. Anytime, Hoyles. We're going to talk <laughs> COP26. and I love the feel of something's going on today in studio. I don't know what's in the air. I don't know what's in the coffee. We did switch up the coffee a little bit. If I'm going to be honest, Sam, and this is on me, this coffee's pretty lousy, isn't it? Uh, if it's, we're being, It's fine. It's not fine. I, I will bite this bullet. I'm the one that bought it. It's not great. We're not buying this coffee again. It's no good. But the mug, the mug is fantastic. Uh, if you're watching us on YouTube right now, you can see if you're listening on the podcast, let me describe for you. This is the Real Talk Studio Mug 2.0. And uh, it's now up for sale at RyanJesperson.com. While supplies last. We had somebody place a frantic order yesterday. I'm totally, I don't know if it was frantic. How do I know? We just get an email and then Katie sends them the mug. I don't know if it was frantic, but they bought a whole bunch of them of the original ceramic diner mugs. These ones, because as you know, soon they're going to sell out. Are you calling me ridiculous? I would never on mic. I'm just hustling. But seriously, if you want to get your hands on Mug 1.0, you better act now. And if you want to get your hands on Mug 2.0, the watcher is saying, ooh, bigger. Yeah, so check this out. Let me stack them up side by side here so you can see. <laughs> so there you go. But both of them will hold your coffee. We've got these like literally like world-renowned climate commentators that are like, is this guy going to get to us at any point? Or, or is he going to respect our time when we agreed to show up? I am. In just a moment. Because first, I need to remind you how proud we are to partner with Athabasca University. It's Canada's online university. Of course, they're based out of Alberta, but it's irrelevant. It's an online university, and that's why people across this great land have been signing up to take part in their world-class accredited online programs and courses because it's flexible, the whole structure. I was telling you about my friend Jen, 
she's, you know, doing studies. She's going to be a psychologist is the short story. And she's doing it through Athabasca U. And I asked her, I said, how's it going? She goes, it's amazing. She said some weeks she's doing 40 hours. I mean, she has a full-time job too. Good for her. And then some weeks she just takes a week off because she just needs to focus on chilling out and recreation and getting outside and spending time with her family. AU is how you can do that. It's not like, oh, your next class is Monday at 4 p.m. for three hours. It's not going to work for most people. You can check out the programs and courses, check out how admissions works, and learn a little bit more about Athabasca University at AthabascaU.ca. Also want to let you know that when I'm doing this show, when Hoyles is producing this show, when Sam Brooks is switching this show, we're all doing it on Max. On the MacBook Pro, on the iMac, I've got this iPad in front of me, the iPhone, the whole nine yards, all of it from Westworld Computers. For more than 40 years, they've been going head-to-head against the big box stores, independent, family-owned. The return business and referrals mean a ton to them, obviously. What we love is when you go in to see Daryl and his team at Westworld in person, let them know you're there because of Real Talk. When you shop online at westworld.ca, keep in mind they'll ship across the country. And they can take your orders either on the website or you can give them a call. If you have a special order, maybe you don't see something that you're looking for, you have a question, 780-454-5190. That's Westworld Computers. Well, we've been looking forward to this conversation for a long time. I mean, yeah, it's been leading the news cycle, COP26. You've seen the photos. You've seen the video coverage. You know, there's like Bentleys and Rolls Royces and Mercedes Benz everywhere. There's these private jets and the world leaders and all the who's who of whatever. You know, Greta's there and President Biden's there and the prime minister had something to say. And and there's Angela Merkel and, and all the world. But like, what does COP26 mean for you? What is it actually what's being accomplished there? What's real and, and, and what's bluster? All right. What's the smoke and mirrors and what's tangible? It's the whole purpose of this conversation here. Every Friday, we present the Real Talk Roundtable. And what a thrill uh, to welcome award-winning climate journalist, Amy Westervelt. Uh, She's been most recently honored with the Covering Climate Now Award for audio reporting. Uh, She runs the podcast network, Critical Frequency. I'm going to have to pick her brain on that, obviously. They produce and distribute narrative nonfiction podcasts, including half a dozen of them focused on climate. And she co-hosts, as I'm sure many of you know, the hot take podcast richard dixon dr richard dixon is an energy economics expert teaching at athabasca university he was the first chief of strategic foresight in the alberta energy regulator he was also the first executive director at the center for applied business research in energy at the university of alberta he co-chaired the government's emissions trading project which won the premier's gold award of excellence And that, by the way, everybody, was the basis for the development of North America's first ever mandatory carbon tax. The guy knows what the hell he's talking about. And it's a real pleasure to welcome Richard and Amy to the show. Good morning to both of you. And and thanks for being here. Um, I want to invite both of you to treat this like we're all out for coffees or beers. So feel free to jump in on each other. Feel free to take the conversation into story time if you want. I am all over the map this morning and we're really having a good time. So, Amy, I know, obviously, I mean, you talk climate for a living and you've built a huge following. You are one of our most requested Real Talk guests in history. 
And I'm not joking around. I mean, people, people <laughs> ask Sarah. I mean, people keep asking, like, when is Westervelt going to be on the show? And here you That's are. So funny. No, it's I, hey, obviously what you're doing. And I, and I hope that feels good to hear it, because obviously it, yeah, what you're doing is really resonating with people. Is it fair to say that climate is more on people's radar now, climate change in particular, than it ever has been before? I think so. Yeah. I mean, at least in my experience, I don't, I don't know if Richard feels the same, but um, but it does seem like there's even more now than, you know, I feel like the last time there was a tension on climate was maybe 2008 to, to 2010. And it seems like now we've surpassed that. In fact, actually, I just saw a stat that um, media coverage of climate has like the last couple of months been more than ever in, you know, in history. So I suppose that's good. <laughs> Richard, do you feel, I mean, do you feel that same thing? I mean, has there, has there been kind of more, I mean, this has been your business. Obviously you've been doing this for, for, you know, the better part of a few decades now. Are people more aware of it or more interested in it now than ever before? Yeah. We're, oh, absolutely. For example, one of the things that we're getting is that uh, we've been talking now with business communities where they want to have um, courses on, on climate change for the for the board, so board mm. discussions, and it's coming down to smaller and smaller. Uh, like, yeah, you get the Enrons, you get the or uh, Exxon, you get the uh, Suncors. They've had those discussions for years. Uh, you know, we've been a part of that. Uh, but what they want now is you're seeing smaller businesses saying, "What's what's happening for us? What is the climate change risk that we face?" And that I think is a significant shift is that you're seeing those uh, much smaller industries or, or co uh, corporations and businesses now starting to pay attention to it. Well, huge difference. And, and listen, that's I mean, literally, I, I feel like the whole point of this conversation uh, is to 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 answer that question is like, how does this apply to us? Because we can watch, you know, we watch coverage of COP26 and it's like all of these nations have signed on to like, the, you know, whether it's deforestation or coal or methane or whatever. And then, you know, maybe there's a, an election cycle and the next president of the United States says, yeah, that's bullshit. We're out. We're not doing that. Or, or you know, yeah. some, someone <laughs> says, yeah, that doesn't really fit into our budget. We're not doing it anymore. And people go, yeah, what about Paris? What about Kyoto? What about all the, you know? So, Amy, is there is there something coming out of Glasgow that makes you believe or that makes you feel sort of more inspired or or the. I mean, what's jumping out at you, I guess, is what I'm asking. The two things that I've kind of been paying attention to or found most interesting are the global methane pledge. And then this thing that I think was just announced yesterday about um, several countries, including the U.S., which people were like, are they, aren't they, um, are not going to fund fossil fuel development internationally anymore. So that's a pretty big deal that, that public financing for um, for fossil fuel projects is going away, um, apparently. And then the Global Methane Pledge could be huge. I mean, I think the thing for people to understand about that is that methane is a short-lived gas. Um, so there's this, this kind of idea that, well, if we can get on top of methane emissions quickly, and there is a lot of low-hanging fruit there, that maybe that buys us some time um, for tackling the CO2 problem, which is a, a much kind of I don't know, hairier, more complicated problem. So the fact that that multiple countries, um, including the, the U.S., 
the EU has signed on. Um, Brazil actually signed on a, a kind of a, a late joiner there. <laughs> so that's a big deal. You know, um, there's still some big methane emitters that are missing from this pledge. So, you know, we'll see. And it's also, unfortunately, you know, lacking a lot of details or any sort of uh, enforcement measure. <laughs> um, but but the fact that they're at least talking about it and, um, you know, in this way, is good. I think it's good to kind of get this on the radar for people that, hey, this is a, this is a potential quick win for us on climate that is not that hard to tackle. How about you, Richard? What's jumping out? Uh, a couple of things. Uh, picking up on Amy and, and getting your opinion on this as well, is that my sense is that the sense of urgency uh, is now even, you know, it was there in Paris, but now what we're seeing uh, with the protesters, I mean, picking Glasgow it still didn't make sense to be having it there, but that's okay. What do you have against shipbuilding, Richard? No. Yeah, I love Glasgow. I mean, you know, in Aberdeen, I mean, it's uh, an industry from the oil perspective, but um, yeah, it's. Uh, I think it needed to be opened up a lot more uh, to allow it, and we're seeing that complaint in the news as well, but what I'm picking up on a sense is the urgency. Uh, and that's, is, that's what's really key. If things are going to happen uh, to really start moving things, because uh, sometimes I, uh, when I look at this stuff and I go back, well, we talked about that 20 years ago. We talked about that 15 years ago. Yeah. Right? But, but the real key to that is the sense of urgency in people saying, you know what, we really do need to act and we need to act now. And so I think that's what's really happening, what's different. Uh, Amy, are you picking that up as well? I am. I am picking that up, but I am also seeing, I'm seeing a lot of people complain about um, the access issue that, you know, a lot of people from the global South haven't been able to get there. A lot of activists haven't been able to get in. I saw one person complaining that, you know, her pretty straightforward poster ask me about methane emissions from the oil and gas industry was was denied by the the sort of cop organizers for for being too controversial but there are multiple oil and gas companies with like just blatant greenwashing um let's let's dig into yeah. that because i think people talk about greenwashing and, and i'm not sure that everybody totally understands what what that means so can you give us a couple examples yeah, I mean, right now it's changed. I think people, especially people that are somewhat new to the topic, are still a little bit stuck on the the like climate denial thing, which you don't see that much of anymore. You don't yeah. see as many people anymore being like, this isn't happening. It's a hoax. It's more like um, oil companies overstating their commitments to doing something about it. So, you know, to listen to their ads, for example, you would think that ExxonMobil is just 100% in the algae biofuels and carbon capture business now. Well, the reality is they spend less than 3% of their capital expenditure on anything other than fossil fuels. Um, there's also the way that, that I mean, Shell actually is a good example. They've been getting a lot of praise in the U.S. recently because they're better than all the other oil companies, maybe. Um, uh, they've just made this big commitment right before COP that they're going to slash their emissions 45% by 2030. But then the small print there is they're only talking about their own emissions, like their operational emissions. So they're leaving out 90% of the emissions actually associated with their business um, and everyone's sort of like, oh, Shell, hooray. But actually 
what they're doing is is good. It's a step, you know, but it's it's nowhere near where we need to be. So there's a lot of that going on. They gave Jeff Bezos a platform to give a big speech today, apparently, to <laughs> climate hero Jeff Bezos. Um. <laughs> I hear it. I want, to, I want to try to I can just scroll back in our live chat and, and I'll do this on the fly. Watch me spin my tires till I find it. Here it mm-hmm. is. Uh, James says, was anybody else annoyed by Elon Musk's uh, stunt with the World Food Program? Uh, this off the top of my head, it was the six billion dollar commitment. I think he said he's going to you know, he said he'll sell his Tesla stock to do his part to end world hunger. Uh, James says it fully Just came off. Just pay taxes. Yeah. <laughs> James says it came off as a sort of a dance for your supper type ploy from a spoiled billionaire. Uh, it sounds like it rubbed you the wrong way too, Amy. I mean, pretty much everything Elon Musk does rubs me the wrong way. Let's be and, honest. But he's also doing some really cool stuff. Can, I mean, I like people go, yeah, he's yeah. eccentric and weird. And I get, yeah, like so are a lot of people that do remarkable things. Uh, I get he's not everybody's flavor, but. I think that um, I think that he absolutely deserves a ton of credit for um, for making electric vehicles popular yeah. and for actually putting um, quite a bit of effort and money behind getting real charging infrastructure in the U.S. to make them more feasible. Um, like I think that's great. I think the the way that Tesla has invested in battery technology is very helpful for all of that stuff too. Um, my, my issue with Elon Musk is more like that. Um, he, I don't know. He tends to sort of um, overstate like lots of other <laughs> solutions. So for example, he's been talking for a while about SpaceX and terraforming Mars and how we're going to, you know, um, how this is going to be part of a climate solution. And I just feel like he and Bezos both and their obsession with um, the sort of space escape hatch for climate is not particularly helpful. Also, it would be great if Tesla could kind of walk the walk a little bit and and Elon Musk himself and not be trying to like build new natural gas pipelines in Texas, for example. Um, (laughs) I think, you know, yes, electric vehicles are great, but like, you know, um, I would love actually can I even greater would be like moving away from personal transportation. Um, Yeah, but where's the where's the billions in that, Amy? There's no billions in that. I mean, Um, Elon Musk is going to build uh, big tunnels everywhere, right? Let's make them public transit tunnels. <laughs> I would love for you, you. You talk about natural gas. Richard, I want to throw this to you. And and, uh, and I don't need to invite the two of you to take these answers wherever you like. I mean, I, I love conversations that turn exploratory. But I've got a, I've got a pal and he's he's convinced his name's Kyle. I want to give him credit. He's convinced that that right now he says uh, if I can paraphrase, I want to be fair, but he's like everything to do with climate initiatives. He says it's it's way too ambitious and that's why nobody can get on board. And he says mm. he thinks that what would be really politically popular is if a party might say and I want to go to Richard first on this. But Amy, I'm sure you'll have something to say on it. He goes enough about all this like pie in the sky type ideas. He says if we can just go from like coal to natural gas, he says if we can get everything on natural gas. That would be a great step to get everybody on board. Richard, where do you stand with regards to like incremental steps versus big bold leaps well it's yeah so what you're talking about is the technology game right and so the thing with technology is do we have those big jumps um yeah but you know we put a lot of time into them a lot of energy so you've got 
Uh, last time I did the research on this, there was 30 some batteries being uh, developed for transportation system. So we need to get to electrification of our system. But to get there is going to take dollars, it takes research, it takes the incentive. Uh, Tesla's got one. Uh, I, you know, given the kind of things with lithium that we now know in terms of the mining, the issues around that, uh, I hope that's not where we stop. That's not where we end up. You know, it's like when we went into, uh, you look at uh, cars being developed in the 1870s, 1880s, 1890s, till we got to the internal combustion engine. I mean, there was, uh, you know, there was electric cars then, there were steam cars, there was all, you know, there was coal-driven cars, right? Everyone experimented with all these different technologies. You know, you got one out of uh, Switzerland right now, they're using a technology uh, using seawater, Okay. Uh, MIT is doing some stuff using a goo. Uh, looks a lot like oil sands goo, actually. You know, and, and so there's redox uh, uh, battery systems developed under World War II that are being reinvented, re-looked at. Uh, so, you know, our system is going to be that, you know, what we end up with 20, 30 years from now in terms of electrification of the system is probably a lot different than what we see now. You know, and that's, that's, a, that's a huge issue. So are we going to need incremental steps? Yeah. Uh, I mean, one of the big issues is, is that our energy demand, and we did studies back in 2008, and we showed, and, and Shell had done some, they matched up with us and others, in that we were going to be doubling the energy needs of the world by 2050. And we're still on track for that. Okay. And it's just that what you're seeing is the populations of China, India, Brazil, uh, you're going to see those populations uh, moving more into middle class. They need more. Uh, and one of the things is that you need, and we haven't decoupled our human growth with our need for electricity or our need for power. Okay. And so we haven't quite, we have to figure that out. Going into internet away from vehicles. Well, the internet uh, uses a lot of electricity. You're looking at 20% in Alberta. I mean, it's huge numbers that, uh, that we use for electricity. So are we there yet? No, we're going to have this messy, messy way of getting there. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and is natural gas going to be used? Yeah. I mean, that, look at coal. Look at the coal numbers. You know, that's been in the news now. Is that coal numbers increases? Well, we knew that it's increasing, right? Because people, you know, you've got people moving into, as I said, a better lifestyle. Uh, don't want to give that, take that away from them. And so what's happening is, there you go. Uh, so, yeah, it's going to be this messy development uh, moving towards or we need more hydrocarbons to meet the need. Uh, Electricity is meeting the demand. Uh, you know, fusion power. Are we going to be there yet? Uh, fourth generation uh, nuclear. Uh, you know, we're not even there yet. Uh, we're, you know, the Department of Energy and the energy regulatory system in the U.S., uh, Amy, you're probably well aware is that they are slowing up fourth generation uh, development. Yeah. You know, I mean, Bill Gates is putting money in other countries to try and get it developed yeah. so that it can be brought back, you know. I know. Uh, yeah. so the regulatory system is, is uh, needs to be revisited there as well. You know, and Richard, so you've officially given me 96 questions now to ask in follow up. Uh, but but Amy, what do you make of of what he's talking about? This sort of like messy short term future around it, and, and the pace of yeah. implementation. Like like to be honest, he's he's bang on when it comes yeah. to demand, reliability, etc. Mm -hmm. These aren't these are real things. Yeah, definitely. And I think 
I think it's absolutely right. There's going to be a messy transition. I mean, honestly, I think that unfortunately, because we are kind of getting a late start here, uh, you know, it's going to be messy and there are going to be issues. You know, had we started 30 years ago, then maybe there would have been uh, a more like steady phased transition. But unfortunately, that didn't happen. Right. So we're in this position where, um, you know, we have to move quickly. I think that that actually I think this was another thing that I saw at COP this week that um, that was pretty interesting was was China's commitment to get uh, sorry, India's commitment to get off of coal. That's huge. Um, Major. Even though they're saying, you know, um, net zero by 2070, which, of course, everyone is like, that's too late. But there is, you know, the the sort of the headline there is we're going to get it off of coal. Um, and that is that is a huge win. Um, they will almost certainly do that by uh, shifting to natural gas. I mean, this that that your friend Kyle is talking about, that's been happening all over the world. And it is true that that reduces CO2 emissions. I think we need to be very careful about what it does to methane emissions, which a lot of people kind of discounted for a long time. And the more we're learning about them, the more we're realizing that, okay, this is actually a problem too. Um, and... And, you know, but then there again, I feel like there are there are actual fixes to that. You know, the way that it's been done so far is that really like people are doing a terrible job of maintaining equipment. And so they have to, you know, blast methane into the atmosphere fairly regularly. You know, it's like it's a fixable problem. I think that um, if we can do some of those things that could at least and and I keep talking about buying us time and maybe that sounds like a, a Pollyanna thing. But I think that, you know, these things that we could do in the short term that will stave off the most catastrophic warming for long enough for these other technologies to evolve to a place where that where we can you know deploy them at scale i think you know we need to do those things and to your point about um nuclear i will never understand why that industry is regulated so much more than the oil industry you know i realize that obviously nuclear has this capacity for for great destruction we know i mean but that is but but like nuclear has has capacity for potential destruction we know that oil is causing destruction right now and it's in the u.s it's almost entirely self-regulated um everything is voluntary everything is self-reported so uh, yeah i don't understand where the the thinking comes from on that except for sort of a you know ingrained fear do you think is it like because everybody's picturing like hiroshima everybody's everybody's got that mushroom yeah everybody thinks of the mushroom cloud series didn't help yeah yeah what a series by the way oh my god it was really Uh, good i mean i'm not trying to discount obviously there are huge potential risks with nuclear and you know i'm not saying it shouldn't be regulated i just feel like i don't know that um yeah, that the way that it's structured now, especially with respect to nuclear versus fossil fuels, is it makes a lot of sense. Richard, uh, one of the one of the reasons uh, one of the reasons why I was excited <laughs> that you agreed to do this, um, and Amy has teed this up beautifully, you know, saying had we had we been on this thirty years ago, Richard, you were. 
<laughs> you, yeah, you, well, you were the first chief of strategic foresight in the Alberta Energy Regulator. You developed the award-winning, the Premier's Gold Award of Excellence. Uh, when people used to respect the Premier's office, that was a big deal. Uh, it, that you earned, it led to the development of North America's first mandatory carbon tax. What were conversations like 30 years ago around this stuff? Oh God, it was fascinating. You know, like when when the when Klein gave us the award. Okay, so I had a chance to sit down with the premier. Uh, you know, we had about 30 minutes where we could just talk about what we were doing. And one of the things I pushed for is I said, you know what? Let's call it what it is. It's a carbon tax. No, can't do that. And, and so one of the problems I, I've just, you know, experienced year and year after is just give things your proper name. We came up with a carbon tax. Uh, it was the start of it. It had some really good initiatives to it. But it was a start. And so the government, though, called it the specified gas emitters regulation. Right? <laughs> like, who does that appease? And, and then, you know, the problem was, is that the, the NDP with Notley was no better. And then came in and said, well, we now have a carbon tax. No, we had a carbon tax. And, but they wanted to make it, you know, and they politicized it. And she said, you know what? They had a carbon tax. We've now expanded it to make it a, a different type of carbon tax. Ours was, um, you know, I mean, cripes, it goes back to, um, oh, uh, some of the experts across the country, Nancy Oweiler and, I, and ourselves, we were trapped at uh, Mark, Oak Hammond Marsh during 9-11. And, and Oak Hammond Marsh is the head of Ducks Unlimited. Uh, and so, and we were sitting there and we were part of a national roundtable and Paul Martin to have a discussion on what would carbon taxes look like in this country. And out of those discussions, uh, you know, we realized with Alberta, where do most of our emissions come from? And they come from a hundred final emitters, oil sands, uh, coal plants, uh, the cement plants. These are where the emissions come from. And that accounts for 75% and it hasn't changed that much, 75% of our emissions for this province, okay? So for us to have a carbon tax on gasoline at the pump, well, that doesn't really uh, get you 25% of the emissions. Didn't make sense. So for us, we went after the, the large final emitters. We said that's where the first carbon tax has got to be. Uh, for BC, it's it's a it was and Nancy Oldwater's work out of uh, Simon Fraser SFU is uh, what Nancy and um, the rest of us talked about, and uh, Brian and uh, all all these uh, wonderful people uh, still are. Uh, some are not with us anymore. But uh, what happened was, is that uh, they said, okay, we needed to have a carbon tax because 75% of our emissions come from vehicles, right? And so that's where the, that history was. So instead of taking ownership for the history and, and saying, yeah, this is what it is, give things their proper name, uh, it would really, really help. Uh, that, that was part of it, you know? And in those days, it was exciting. Uh, that we were moving ahead. We were, I mean, the original idea of the carbon tax for Alberta was that we picked up on the work out of Yale University is that it would be a, you start with a baseline and then you increase it every year. So you can imagine 20 years later, we'd be up to like 40, $50 a ton. You know, that's now going to make some serious decisions for industry around, you know, having to either pay that tax or change their technologies. And, and, and it would give them certainty because they would see that building. Interesting part is uh, you take like Suncor and these at the time, and this is 20 years ago, they already had shadow carbon pricing. They were already anticipating 
that, uh, that they would have a carbon tax. And so they had built into, like BP and others, they had built into their uh, regimes uh, and they put it right into, um, into uh, what people got for their compensation is they would say, okay, you're going to do this project. How much carbon would it emit? If the carbon price was at that time, say $15 a ton, uh, would this still be a profitable uh, decision to do? And so what they would uh, discover is that they reduced, okay, well, if we reduce how we move water, uh, moving water takes a lot of energy, energy produces carbon. Can we uh, produce oil sands with a far less amount of water? Uh, so as a pure, you know, was it a altruistic, oh, we're gonna save the environment? No, it was dollars and cents, right? It was dollars and cents. And they anticipated this carbon tax coming in. They were already there ahead of us. You know, that, the reason we chose that number is that we had that from industry already, right? So, you know, it gets back to Amy, your point is that you got this bloody greenwashing going on by companies that are also have done the homework on climate change. I mean, Exxon yeah. had the best climate change people in the world back in the 1990s. Mm-hmm. They, were, they had done this homework. I mean, this is well documented. Uh, you know, New York State now is, is raising this issue that, yeah, you're, you're did, they did their due diligence. You know, like they knew this issues, right? And I don't, yeah, think, I don't think anybody cares if it's if anybody's acting out of a sense of altruism or dollars and cents. People just want to see no. the needle moved, right? Amy, do you have a? I would imagine you do. It feels like a rhetorical question, Amy. But what's your position on on you know the idea of, for example, a carbon tax? Like, what do you think is the most effective way to impact change or to make take mm-hmm. meaningful action on climate change with regards to what government levers are pulled? I mean, honestly, I think we need to be pulling all of them. Mm. You know, I think we need a carbon tax. I think we need investment in renewables. I think we need, I'm very concerned about the way we're going on lithium with respect to batteries. And I'm I'm worried that we're going to be, you know, talking about that problem in 10 years time or 20 years time, especially given that, you know, I mean, this, this gets into, um, larger scale systems change. But I I do think that, you know, at a certain point, we're going to have to look at like the system that created this problem too, um, so that we don't repeat the same issue with lithium and various other minerals needed for renewable energy technology. But anyway, that's, you know, down the road. I think, yeah, carbon tax, investment in renewables, um, I think that uh, regulating methane would be fantastic. Uh, so far in the U.S., there's been a huge pushback from the industry to do anything other than incentivize improvements. But again, we're talking about a self-reported system. We know that companies are underreporting their methane emissions by at least 100%, at least 100%. <laughs> um, so so the, the idea that they can just you know, that they're going to voluntarily do this is pie in the sky. It needs to be, it needs to be regulated. And yeah, I think we're at a point where, uh, you know, we can't, um, can I curse on this show? We you can't can say dig around. Yeah. With, oh, I thought it was going to be way more. Yeah. That's, yeah. <laughs> we can't keep dicking around with like, you know, trying one thing at a time. We're out of time for that kind of, of nonsense. I want to, I want to, so far the U S has done fuck all like nothing. So, 
Mm-hmm. Uh, you know. I, I want to pick up on that in yeah. just a second. We're, we're going to fit in a quick break. We're out of time. And I know I like I already Hello. know I'm thinking of specific <laughs> people in my brain. I'm not going to say their names. That would be mean. I'm not looking to pick fights with friends of mine. But they're, Amy, they would like get migraines from rolling their eyes. Listen, oh, we're out of time. <laughs> oh, the, oh, the sea levels. I remember Yeah, everyone was crying in the 70s and the 80s and the 90s and acid rain. And we're out of time. And they're going to laugh. And they're going to roll yeah. coal in their F-350s. And, the, and they're going to laugh at this whole idea. So I'm going to ask for a reality check from Dr. Richard Dixon and Amy Westervelt in just a moment, our guests on this week's edition of the Real Talk Roundtable. It feels like a pretty obvious time to remind you how proud we are to partner with the team at Kubi Energy. Jake Kubiski is the founding CEO of Kubi Energy. He's got such a, a great personal story. Uh, don't worry, I'm not going to get into like height and weight and how far he hits a golf ball like Adam O'Brien. I played golf with Adam and Jake, by the way. <laughs> but Jake's personal story is super cool because he worked in oil and gas for a lot of years. He saw the writing on the wall to a certain degree. It's not a shot at oil and gas, guys. It's just real talk about real life. And Jake took some of his, you know, his savings and started up Kubi Energy, and they've been killing it ever since. Because industrial, commercial, residential customers keep coming back to them to find ways to get to their sustainable energy or even net zero goals. I want to refer you in particular to the blog at kubienergy.ca where you can learn more detailed information and articles on solar energy systems, including how you can make yours happen for less of an investment than you might expect. You can check out the team at Kubi Energy online at kubienergy.ca. You know who else is doing an amazing job on the energy front is Park Power. Chris over there wants me to remind you that you can choose. You have a choice where you get your internet, electricity, and natural gas right now. If you're maybe a little bit twisted up or or even a little bit confused or, or maybe even in the dark with regards to how variable versus fixed rates can really make a difference in your bottom line, I want to refer you to parkpower.ca. They've got some great information online. You can compare rates. You can sign up for a fixed rate right now if you like, but you're not locked in. You can leave at any time. The promo code 2021-REALTALK gets you $70 off your first bill. They're basically going to buy you dinner at parkpower.ca. Our friends at Friesen Brothers know that this weekend, maybe laying around the house, chilling, there's nothing better than a brunch with the family. The Jespo recommendation is the sourdough cinnamon buns and the Ivan's sausage. Now, that's no slight against their smoked bacon. I'm not taking issue with the amazing farm fresh eggs. I I just have to pick favorites every once in a while. I do it every time I go to Friesen Brothers. And remember, the first of the month, every first of the month at Friesen Brothers, there's 16 stores across Alberta. It's 15% off your bill from 9 a.m. to 9 p.m. Any bill over 75 bucks. You can learn more at Friesen.com. What a great conversation we're having with award-winning climate journalist Amy Westervelt. She co-hosts the Hot Take podcast and Dr. Richard Dixon, an energy economics expert out of Athabasca University. Let's get into this, Amy. You say we are running out of time, and I don't have to tell you that there are cynics that will scoff at every single word of it. So what do you say to the cynics? I mean, I think the science speaks for itself. We're seeing even, okay, putting aside the science and the projections and the modeling, because I know people can say, oh, that they're off. Um, First of all, actually, the modeling so far has been spot on. Secondly, 
Um, I think look around. I mean, I don't know anywhere that anyone is living that that climate change isn't very visible already. Um, and the idea that it's not just going to become more so seems pretty unrealistic. Uh, so, so, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, I don't like to be totally honest, I feel like if people can believe what they want to believe, I guess, uh, but it doesn't match reality. It's one of those kind of things where like people that don't get vaccinated wind up in the ICU with COVID and the opinion yeah. doesn't really factor in opinion right, about like, COVID doesn't really matter. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, you know, you can feel however you want to feel. That's fine, but it doesn't actually impact reality. Richard, have you, have you, have you walked through your professional career with a bit of a sense of urgency? Oh, I mean, we were pushing on this 20 years ago, and it just, like, uh, it can be frustrating. But I wanted to pick up on something that Amy had said, if I can just, you came back to regulation a few times. Yeah. So one of my pet peeves right now is that in uh, Alberta, we're not there. We're not at COP26, and we should have been. You know, I mean, the government made a political decision. Obviously, they didn't want to become the, uh, you know, the, the target of, of demonstrations. Uh, but part of the problem was, is that uh, the lack of leadership that we're seeing is really astounding, given our history, uh, given the culture that we have had. Um, you know, like, yeah, here we were leaders in uh, doing carbon taxing. Let's experiment. Let's try this. Um, you know, you know, we made mistakes, get that. Uh, could we have partnered with people? I mean, we pushed for partnering with people and uh, the political, no, no, we, we got this Alberta mentality, we've got to do it on our own. You know, like it was this, you know, we sat down uh, with California. I had sat down with people from California and said, look, let's let's develop this carbon tax together. Let's, let's work in unison. A lot of reasons around that. But what we're seeing, uh, for example, Alberta has a history of regulating oil and gas. We used to have up to 100 delegations a year would come in from California, from Brazil. I was Brazil I've been down in Brazil on talks with them on how to regulate this several times. Uh, we had Europeans come over. We even had the Quebec government come in to look because they've got natural gas. So they're not going to develop it, but they want to know how do we regulate it? How do you do it so that you don't have methane venting? You know, yeah. like, you know, yeah, you know, well, we worked on that 20 years ago with Martha Kostya, uh, wonderful environmentalist, uh, passed away now, a wonderful memory of this lady. And uh, she was very instrumental in let's moving forward on that type of regulation. Uh, we should be at the table saying, look, we can regulate this industry in a way much better, uh, reduce the emissions from it. Uh, but we've lost that leadership, right? Uh, we're not there anymore. They, but they Richard, let me ask you. So if 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 uh, Minister and, and Amy, I don't know if you're if these names mean anything to you, but Minister Sonia Savage is Alberta's energy <laughs> minister. Um, she's I, I, I think my understanding is that she's got pretty significant credibility in the oil and gas circles like she's a, she has been a respected professional through her career. Richard, I don't know your opinion on that. Um, Premier Jason Kenney is, has I mean, he's been a federal minister on some pretty big. I mean, are, are you saying that Rich that you think that they'd get laughed out of the barn basically if they were there do you think do you think that alberta's current strategy or current approach or current position on a lot of these issues that we're talking about has or lacks credibility well let's take for example we've got oil at a high uh rate of you know we're looking at a lot of return companies are bringing in money you know you saw the uh some quarterly reports here just recently 
And, and yet the so- uh, minister gets up, uh, you know, so- and he gets up and talks about, well, they don't have any money to do reclamation remediation. <laughs> really? You know, like, when are you going to do that? When the price of oil is down to $35 again? Then, you, you know, like, you know, how often is that argument going to hold? I mean, that was just mm-hmm. an apologist for the industry, as opposed to saying, no, uh, we're going to hold your feet. And in fact, we just finished a study for NRCAN, myself and a colleague, we've two studies actually published, uh, looking at how can we use the reclamation and remediation economy to drive forward, you know, uh, our own economy in in this province. How can we become experts in that and demonstrate that expertise to the world, you know, to clean up these uh, well sites, to clean up uh, the messes that we've we've got to have, uh, that we've left. So, yeah, no, we're not seeing that type of leadership. You know, when you, you, know, you get oil as high as it is and has been for uh, the last six months and then the minister defending the industry saying, no, they can't afford to do reclamation. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, honestly. Amy, is that as much of an issue? Uh, Alberta's got like a real problem. It's a huge issue for us. Too. Okay. The idle, the idle and abandoned wells yeah. issue. It's huge. And the way that permitting works in the U.S., it's like it's this ridiculous, you know, wink and a nod oral agreement that has no binding ability at all there where they're like, yeah, we'll clean it up later. And then what they do is they roll their old toxic assets into a new company. And then that company goes bankrupt yep. and then the state is required to clean it up. So it ends up being a cost to taxpayers. That's the thing that I think people don't understand is, you know, you hear all this anti-regulation talk and you hear, oh, you, we don't want to burden the industry with all these financial troubles. Well, guess what? They're burdening taxpayers. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. It's not like there's some magical fairy that comes and cleans up their mess and that we don't have to pay for it. We pay that bill. So who's more responsible for paying that bill? I don't think it's taxpayers. And we've got like, I don't I, I could go on this. I've got this list of questions I want to ask you. I, I don't want to go off on a big rant, but it's not even I mean, there's you know, every time I talk to experts on the show about these orphan wells, um, you know, and yeah. I'll and I'll say oh. and, and I'll say something like, you know, there's like these these like multi-billion dollar deficits with her. And, and then all the experts go, oh, like minimum. And it just feels like this extra punch yeah. in the gut. And then you talk to these rural mayors uh, and they're they're seeing like property taxes are not being paid like none of these. And, and listen, mm-hmm. I've got friends that work in oil and gas and blah, 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 blah. I have to offer all these caveats so I don't get painted like some sort of enemy of the state for Pete's sake. Radical. Some, yeah. some, some, you know, some <laughs> granola munching Birkenstock wearing communist. But let me yeah. just say, I mean, I don't know why it's like Stockholm syndrome where everybody hears like, hey, listen, it's fine if you guys like leave a fucking mess everywhere and don't pay your taxes and, and just like beat us around all the time because how else are we going to heat our homes in the winter if we don't bow? And it's just like, I don't, I, it drives me up the wall. And Ryan, but that's a two way street as well. Don't forget the farming community, you know, uh, and we taught courses on this and we did show how the math occurred. Uh, and I remember going back into the environment people and showing them that, you know, this is part of a understanding the tech, uh, the uh, the gaps in the regulation that we had is that, for example, farmers made tons of money by not having those wells reclaimed. Mm-hmm. Right? They're looking five to ten thousand dollars lease fees that they would get when the companies could afford to pay them. Because why? It was cheaper. It was a straight uh, uh, present value calculation that it was cheaper uh, in our system, a failure in our system. It was cheaper for the company 
to pay off the farmer and leave the mess mm-hmm. than it was to actually go and clean up the mess. Right. And there was no force that, you, yeah. So now that the companies don't have the money, the farmers are saying, well, then look, they got, you know, like, okay, let's just call that out a little bit here, guys. That's actually no one's, no one said this uh, on the show yet, to be honest with you. Really? Yeah. Oh God. This is. Well, I'm trying to think, I'm trying to think back. There's this guy by the name of Mark Doran that's come on the show. Mark is such a fierce advocate. I I just respect the hell out of Mark and what he's doing. This is like his life's mission. Put it this way. (laughs) He posted a photo of him and his dad the other day. His dad appears. I think he's in his nineties and Mark was visiting him and, and Mark basically said, what a special visit with my dad. And then he said, dad, I will continue to fight on the orphan. Well, so so for me, I I have never picked Mark's brain on the personal side of it. I know it's personal to him, which is, which Mm -hmm. is really meaningful. So maybe Mark's mentioned something. I should give him credit. People can go back in our archives to hear my conversations with him. But Richard, people aren't talking about that. Now, you're, you, what you're trying to do now is is you're, you're done. You, you got this little twinkle in your eye, Rich. You're, you're trying to get now you're trying to get the, the oil and gas guys and the farmers to come at the show. Is that what you're doing? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, and, and, there's, <laughs> and there's groups, you know, that have that discussion between the landowners and the uh, and the uh, land men is that, you know, the old term from the oil companies, right? And they've, you know, there's been some synergy work that's really been valuable. That should be talked about, right, as well. Like, yeah, there is some positive ways that we've moved forward that we could demonstrate to the rest of the world where you can resolve some of these issues much more uh, effectively than uh, we're seeing. But um, no, we're not seeing that leadership. Amy, I uh, I mean, gosh, we could we could talk about 100 things right now. But but one of the things that you said really early and I made a note here, I wanted to follow up is you, you talked about a lack of access. And in particular, you identify yeah. demonstrators. We're talking about let's bring this back to COP26 in uh, in Glasgow in Scotland. Uh, what, what's I mean, I guess it sounds like an obvious question. Like, why is that important to you? Uh, but to me, I always think that, um, you know, for example let me say if i were to read an email that that takes a shot at me and takes a shot at my interview style or the i think that that shows uh, open-mindedness i think it, it establishes credibility i think it's important to be open yeah. to criticism and feedback is that what you're getting at with regards to access yeah. on demonstrators yeah i just think there should be i mean i think there should be at least you know as many voices at the table from the countries that are experiencing climate change impacts first and worst and um you know are are literally begging world leaders to do more than what they're doing um those people should have at least as much access as jeff bezos you know <laughs> who is who has contributed to the problem in a big, big way, or, you know, the, the various oil company CEOs who are there. Um, so yeah, I, I think- always, I always wrestle. I don't know if you do too, but I always wrestle with people being like Jeff Bezos is causing all these problems. And, and part of me is going like, we are causing all the problems. Oh, Jeff, no, Jeff Bezos sure. would not be the world's richest man. If nobody used Amazon. Oh, totally. But Jeff Bezos could pay his taxes. Fair. <laughs> Like he is put, he doesn't pay any taxes. It's crazy. This is a multi-billion dollar company and he pays no tax. And then he's like, look at me, $10 million to, to dealing with climate. Well, 
come on, man. Like, I mean, there's a, the reason that billionaires prefer to do philanthropy versus paying their taxes is so that they can dictate what gets done with the money. And in general, that means they can dictate that the money does not go into anything that would cause any problems for their bottom line. That's how the whole thing works. But it's not so, Jeff Bezos. Uh, it's know. not Jeff Bezos's fault that he's not paying taxes. Like if somebody told me I don't have to pay taxes. Is it I, not? No, well, no, but here, <laughs> let, but no, but whose fault is it? Whose fault is it? It's it's, oh, the, it's sure. the government's fault. And the whose fault is that? that is it's the electorate's that. fault. Right. It's right. our I fault. I mean, the system that enables that is terrible. Yeah. But like you could be an ethical person and choose not to, um, especially if you're going to give a lot of speeches about how much you care about climate change. You know, you could just pay into the system that's actually like set up to deal with that instead of creating your whole own little universe over here that you fund and direct all of the decision making. Um, but, you know, I mean, yeah, there again, that's a systemic issue that I think really needs to be addressed, that we're we're basically letting, I mean, even with the Bill Gates thing that you mentioned before too, Richard, we're letting a, a handful of billionaires dictate what the solutions are going to be. And are those are those solutions based on science? Maybe. Uh, you know, we don't know. We have no visibility into that decision making process whatsoever. Elon Musk is another good example. You know, he doesn't he would rather, you know, sort of pick the things that he thinks are going to work and put his money there. And, you know, I guess given that the system enables that, sure, fine, do it. But um, I think that voters at least should demand better. Um, yeah. We, that's what I think. But, I mean, like, I love this. I'm just I, this is the first comment in front of me here on our live chat. I've not been watching. This has been such a great conversation, by the way, you two. I wish we could hang out for like six hours. Larry says Larry says there's been no accountability by government. There's been no ethics on the part right. of resource companies. He says government welfare for oil and gas companies for more than 70 right. years has resulted in brainwashing of the citizens and all resource companies know their power. That from Larry. Yeah, I agree. I, I mean, this is the thing that drives me nuts when I hear, you know, again, billionaires complaining about being taxed at all. Uh, I, you know, this idea that that like, I don't know, that systems that are that are supposed to be, you know, protecting the commons and protecting the public are criticized as being, you know, socialist or welfare or whatever. But like we have been subsidizing oil and gas companies for decades. We have been absorbing their costs for decades. The, the orphan wealth thing is a perfect example. Why are those costs being borne by taxpayers instead of the companies that cause the problem? People pick uh, this in the most obvious statement I'll make all day. And, and, and then, uh, Richard, I'm going to hand things off right to you. The most obvious okay. statement I'll make all day is that people pick and choose when they're going to push back on so-called socialism yeah. <laughs> there there are examples all around us that nobody <laughs> seems to have a problem with or at least a lot of people don't until they decide to bang the drum of their choice richard fair comment yeah yeah, yeah so i think part of yeah exactly no uh, problem i was just going to jump in though on the issue around the orphan well the orphan well is actually a tax on the industry Okay, the, the funds for that don't come you now. Uh, up until recently, then the but the tax was not enough, right? Mm. 
And that was the problem. The other problem. See, in the U.S., we don't have any tax at all. It's just they're supposed to take care of it at the end of life. They don't. They just abandon them. And then the state ends up with the cost of cleaning that mess up. So it ends up being 100 percent borne by taxpayers. Unfortunately, we've fallen some of that uh, route. I've been involved. You're welcome. No, just kidding. (laughs) Just drive drive out of L.A. just a little bit to Kern Valley. Yes. Yes. People forget that. Los Angeles was built on oil. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and the issues around that, but yeah, and the similar issue, I mean, the problem is, is that just putting a date on it, you know, the, if, if we had said, okay, yeah. you're going to, if this well shuts down, uh, we then can have, um, it can be done with that uh, industry. We'll have uh, three years to do it. And then, but the problem, the industry said, well, we're going to have, and I was in these meetings, industry said, well, you know, the chances that we can reopen them, you know. Right. Always. We might go back. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. (laughs) And and the chances of that are maybe less than 0.2%, you know, like, you know, like, uh, I mean, the problem in Alberta is that we're sitting on a vast amount of data that the Alberta Energy Regulator has. And what they do is they still charge for the data. So a lot of, we don't have a centralized uh, data system like we do in the that the U.S. has, okay, with the energy uh, mm-hmm. that you can report. And what is reported in Alberta, and we get some reporting, uh, it's usually not in a very good format that you can actually uh, use something with the data, like in Excel sheets, that you can take a look at it. Uh, and then they charge for the data. And so stuff that would be free in the United States, uh, you have to pay for in Canada. So who does that mm-hmm. benefit? Okay, so right. it's really it's a subsidy for the industry and you're paying while well, we need the money. Well, we showed where we could get the money from teaching people how to regulate energy uh, and we could, uh, you know, get those monetize those hundred uh, uh, delegations coming in a year mm-hmm. and then give the data away and get people and have that credibility of and, and get out there with the real data of what's going on, you know. Yeah. So, so that that's a uh, another issue that uh, we get into that uh yeah. I, I want, hey, let me let me read this. This is awesome. This is the best feedback. Uh, Michelle's watching. If I remember correctly, off the top of my head, I've not fact checked this, which is always dangerous. But I'm pretty sure if I remember correctly, Michelle is an elected counselor in Rocky Mountain House, which is this fabulous community. Uh, they call it the West Country. It's the gateway to the mountains uh, just past Sylvan Lake. Anyway irrelevant i just wish i was in rocky mountain house today to be honest with you uh michelle's a counselor there she says i feel infinitely more informed after watching this roundtable how cool is that so you guys are talking you're talking directly to politicians difference makers in communities um listen we asked you for your time up until seven minutes ago and 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 i get the sense that this conversation (laughs) could continue i know time's (laughs) flying right then we've got some breaking news to report as well a prominent alberta cabinet minister has just resigned for for personal reasons related to alcohol and we're going to talk about that in just a second but but as we wrap up this conversation here on climate and cop 26 and and citizen action and government policy and billionaires paying taxes and everything else. <laughs> I want to give both of you an opportunity to, to kind of leave us with something to walk with and leave us something to talk about and to, to kind of clean up this conversation because we're leaving so much subject matter on the table here. Let's be I mean, we could go on forever. Uh, but but Richard, why don't you go first? Amy, we'll, we'll give you a last word on this. Uh, what's what's something you'd like uh, real talkers to, to ruminate on over the next number of days? Okay. Uh, let's throw something out. So Alberta Energy Regulator. Let's don't call it the Alberta Energy Regulator. 
right? Let, let's start thinking about changing the name because there's the problem is the mindset. 60% of the barrel goes for hydrocarbons, goes for fuel, transportation. We get that. The other 40%, I mean, aspirins, you know, that you t- an aspirin that you take is actually made out of hydrocarbon. You know, one of the main components, uh, the benzene that's used. So in other words, that 40% of the barrel is used for other things that are not energy. But we are so stuck on being the energy, uh, Alberta energy regulator. The, we forget that we can use these product, this, this material, these hydrocarbon, uh, for making cancer drugs, for doing other stuff. We need to begin to shift our mind away from it that this is our energy source to that it's going to be used for something else. And, and yeah, let me tell you, when I came up with that idea when I was chief of strategic foresight, uh, that, that was talk about a leaded balloon. Yeah, it went down real quick. But yeah, so if you want to have a discussion, let's look at our own mindsets and how we can change those mindsets away from a hydrocarbon energy you know, to something uh, much more. So let's start with that. There you Love go. it. Love it. Delivered. Amy, how about you? Uh, well, there, like, I'm going to do one and a half things. One is that I actually would love to see more people talk about the real nuts and bolts of of what a just transition means. Like, how do we actually plan to get off fossil fuels in a way that is not going to disadvantage uh, people who are low income or oil and gas workers? You know, what is it actually going to look like when I turn my lights on or I boot up my computer or whatever? you know, when we're getting off of fossil fuels. And the other is that I I say this a lot, but I I think that people need to think about how this is, to me, climate change is a a problem of, of the, the power structure, not the power source, you know, (laughs) that like, how do you end up with a problem that we see coming a mile away that we have all the information on and that a small, relatively small group of people says, we're actually going to not do anything about that because we want to benefit our own bottom lines first. Um, And how do we avoid repeating the same problem Mm -hmm. with the next energy source if we don't ever actually address you know like the the context of of this problem so yeah such great points that's my my big philosophical thought no but and you know what amy i'm actually you know what i I, i'm i'm actually really great i'm grateful that you mentioned oil and gas workers and what a just transition yeah. looks like. I mean, there's, there's, there's no matter where you live, there's three or four on your street and, and they take yeah. great pride in what they do. And I know that many of them, they go to work. And this is and not should, their fault. It's this not, is their, not fault. their fault. It's not. No. And I, and I, and I sometimes know that these conversations feel like a pile on and that's not the case. And I feel like, and I'm, I'm this type of person too. I can get defensive whether I show it or not, I can get defensive. And then all yeah. of a sudden my listening stops and, and, you know, and, and I and I, that's not it's counterproductive in these types of conversations. I know it sounds yeah. like some sort of like you mentioned, Pollyanna. This is like the rose. Like we're all in this together, but we are. <laughs> and I think that yeah. there needs to be reasonable, tangible, plotted out strategies that make sense, that have long term yeah. vision. I'm so glad you're already talking about what are the potential downsides of the next energy source. We don't even talk yeah. about that. And we need to. And I'm just absolutely thrilled at how this roundtable has gone. Real talkers, immediately, it is your assignment to subscribe to Amy's hot 
Take podcast and to check out more about what they're doing at the Critical Frequency Podcast Network. That's Amy Westervelt. It's just he'd been hitting home run after home run this morning. So has Dr. Richard Dixon, who delivered in a huge way. Um, of course, no surprise on the roster at Athabasca University, uh, the, for, the first ever chief of strategic foresight in the Alberta Energy Regulator. Thanks to both of you for this. This has been just a fantastic conversation. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for having me. One slight correction. You can call me a doctor in a couple months time, officially. Okay, okay? fair. Uh, congratulations. Congratulations. Yeah. It's, it's coming. It's coming. Fairly, yeah. But, uh, yeah. Well, hey, we constantly, thank you, thank you so we much. constantly look ahead. So in two months, Richard Dixon, PhD. I love it. Hey, thanks there to both go. of you for this. Have a wonderful weekend. Thank you, too. You Bye-bye. see why. I mean, first of all, that guy. I mean, the banner of Athabasca University, just you know, you can shine a spotlight on that there. And then you can see why so many people wanted Amy on the show. Right. I love that. You, you don't you don't you, know, you put these roundtables together, especially I love doing them in person. But on Zoom, you never know how people are going to gel. Those two, I just felt like they would hang out and chat regardless of real talk. Right. Two great perspectives. Uh, news has broken as we've been talking. If you're listening to this podcast later in the day, it might be old news. But our insights on, on the resignation as minister, uh, he's not resigning as an MLA as far as I can tell, but he's resigned from his, his ministry. Devon Dreeshen, that in just a second. I want to remind you that the team at Grand Dog Essentials Quality Raw Food offers weekly delivery to metro calgary and edmonton areas and of course as their delivery van passes through central alberta they can drop off in red deer too a minimum order of 50 dollars and you can take 10 percent off of that your first time order if you use the promo code real talk it's not just the quality raw food that i want to tell you about but also if you go under their shop now link at granddog.ca you can check out their alternative protein options and their supplements now the supplements are a big deal for dogs that are experiencing uh, i mean everything from you know it's kind of like a lousy looking coach you know what i'm talking about that's always an indicator of your dog's health so is the poop by the way you can check out their blog entry on what your dog's poop is telling you about how their guts are doing and then of course even dogs that are that are bravely fighting cancer a lot of times these dogs these i mean i'm talking even our moses moses is a cancer survivor he's had a couple of surgeries they've got these pain thresholds they don't even know at least they're not able to tell us right so we got to pay attention to what's going on with them some great tips at granddog.ca and supplements to help those dogs that are fighting cancer or looking to stave it off to keep it from coming back you can check them out at granddog.ca also big shout out to our friends at local waste in just a few minutes uh we're gonna partake in a weekly tradition a little something we call trash talk but i want to remind you that local waste services operating in alberta and saskatchewan keeping it local still family owned after 25 years offering construction commercial and residential waste and recycling collection they've got the smaller bins they're not the type that are going to try to upsell you to the big bin if you don't need it they've literally got the word integrity framed and hanging on the wall it's a core value of theirs they want to earn your business you can contact them via the link at localwaste.ca so yeah, as we're talking, um, and as a matter of fact, a shout out to the Chatterbox. It, it was the Real Talkers uh, that are participating, that are watching this show live, that are listening live via the Mixler audio app that let us know, that flagged this story, that uh, Alberta's Agriculture and Forestry Minister, uh, or now former Minister Devin Dreeshen, has stepped down from the ministry uh, to focus on uh, what he says uh, is basically a problem with alcohol. And uh, let me be very clear right out of the gates, I take no pleasure in reporting 
reporting this. I don't think that this is funny. I think that it's a difficult position for somebody to be in. And I commend the minister for acknowledging that he has a problem with alcohol and taking the steps he needs to take to address it. Quote, I accept that my personal conduct with regards to alcohol has become an issue for the government as a whole. I deeply regret that this is the case, but I've decided that it's best for both myself and the province to resign my position and focus on my personal health and wellness. It was one of the worst kept secrets at the Alberta legislature that Devin Dreeshen was oftentimes using alcohol on the job, oftentimes locking the door to his ministry office. And uh, of course, this was a pretty big focus of a lawsuit that was filed against the premier's office, uh, not naming Kenny himself, by the way, but a lawsuit that was filed by a former chief of staff within the government. And we've been talking about this, uh, you know, for quite some time, Ariel Kimmel's uh, lawsuit. She was in uh, reportedly an on again, off again type relationship, a personal relationship with Devin Dreeshen, which made this all the more striking. You have to assume And again, we're all processing this sort of on the fly. Uh, You have to assume that Ms. Kimmel's lawsuit gets stronger with Devin Dreeshen's resignation. I mean, that seems to me to be obvious. He's acknowledged the allegations and essentially verified them. And so I'm curious to see what that means for the lawsuit. I'm also curious to know what this does with regards to the strength of cabinet and how the premier is going to comment on this. Uh, I'm sure that by the time a lot of people hear this podcast, the premier will have already offered comment on this. Keep in mind that that Jason Kenney a couple of days ago claimed that he had no awareness of any allegations around any sort of misconduct, didn't know what was going on, hadn't heard about it. Obviously not believable, obviously not true, uh, but we'll see what the premier has to say about this. And of course, we can follow up on Monday. I mean, we look at... uh at the Sky Palace photos from a number of months ago where they had the big all the guys around the table with, you know, the uh, the budget drinks on the table. Um, And so this is like open secret, open secret. Can I can I say I didn't actually think I mean, one of the reasons why that whole Sky Palace photo that like long lens surveillance Mm. photo, you have to imagine the, the person that shot that. Has it ever come out like who it was? Not that I'm I aware know that of. there have been people were trying to do sort of CSI style invest and figure out like <laughs> what was the angle and yeah. how would you take it? And a lot of people thought. And, and again, I'm alleging I have to use words like this so we don't get sued. Um, you know, I'm people were alleging that, it, it, hey, it kind of looked like that. Maybe Todd Lowen, uh, the MLA that was booted from the UCP uh, for questioning. He was one of those that signed on to question Kenny's leadership, yada, 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 um, that maybe it was like Todd. It looked like maybe that was from his office. Who knows? I don't know that it's ever been confirmed who shot the photos, um, but it was because at that time, too, it, it appeared to be in violation of covid restrictions. Right. I don't have to be honest with you. I, 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 the, the bottle of Jameson's came to represent something to people. The big bottle of 40 pounder of Jameson's whiskey on the table. Um, but but with regard, there was like, I think, two bottles of wine on the table and there was like six or seven people there and they were having a working dinner. And I didn't like optically. It looks kind of bad in the context of what we're talking about. But I didn't have a huge problem with with like wine on the table at a working dinner. 
Right. It's different than if it's if it's like lunch or if it's breakfast. I mean, if people are crushing tequila sunrises at breakfast meetings as ministers of the crown, it's obviously problematic. But I think like I always think when you're going to take your shots, they have to count. Right. And if you and, and, you know, and that includes our editorial position on this show. And that includes the things I talk about, because if the show starts to become something that like, oh, that's the guy that can't stand Jason Kenny. And then, oh, we already know what Jespo is going to say about this today. He's going to be hard on the premier to like that you lose your punch power and i think you've got to focus on things that actually matter and i don't think that two bottles of wine on the table at a working dinner with six people to be quite frank with you that was not the red flag for me with regards to that photo well for me this is just it's the pattern and so it's it's more of more of the same and so as well as i mean yes that photo came to light around you know skirting health restrictions but it it speaks to the rules don't apply here we can do whatever the hell we want fair we can drink on the job and my i mean i have compassion for somebody that is battling uh substance abuse like that is dealing with uh, issues around substance totally it's not funny it's not it's not and i i hope that he um seriously is looking at getting some support in that area it's it's a hell of a road. Yeah. So I, I don't want to make light of that. I just, um, yeah, I, it just seems like there's a huge pattern here and the sky palace photo is more evidence of that. That's a fair comment, Sarah, hundred uh, percent BV on the live chat wonders. Did he resign to get help or did he resign because the lawsuit came out and he had no choice? Uh, says it's irresponsible to compare this minister's behavior to others with addiction problems. The watcher says Jason Kenny lied about the Jameson bottle, too. He claimed it was a bottle that was like more than 10 years old, but the label changed in 2019. Uh, yeah, like, guys, Jason Kenny fucking lies all the time. Like, I don't know. I, I don't know. I'm, I'm on the record. Like, I would be sued by now if it wasn't true. Right. Uh, the, 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 the Jason Kenny wants nothing more than to bury me again. Uh, but I rose and resurrected, didn't I? It's because we speak the truth. Jason Kenny lies more easily than anybody else I've ever seen. It's actually really, quite frankly, disturbing disturbing and nerve-wracking how how the lies just they just pour out they pour out like hot maple syrup on no i won't do it but the guy lies all the time the guy's word cannot be you can't trust him on anything it's obvious there's politicians that are fucking liars and then there's the premier so obviously he lied about the jameson's bottle obviously he lied about not knowing about devon drieschen obviously he lies about everything i feel like this isn't a secret why should it be a secret and why don't we just scream it out loud it's about time to start like why does he keep getting a pass for me to fucking liar all the time it's friday and I'm, I'm, I got to save some of this fervor for trash talk. But like, it just drives me nuts when people go, oh, the premier says you didn't know. And then they move on to the and then the anchor flips over the piece of paper and moves on to the next story. The guy is a liar. Like, let's call it what it is. Jillian says, does it matter who took the photo? It doesn't matter who took the photo. I'm just curious. Michelle says, Sarah, bang on. Uh, you know, former minister Dreeshan being led to slaughter. But I do hope he gets help if he needs it. Obviously, the premier told him to resign obviously you think you think these guys like the guys accused like again truth real talk this feels good i need to do this more often like we have a we, we can say whatever we want mm. we have a podcast they ran us off the radio here we are why don't we do this every single day we can be the voice of the people here but like you know this is a minister former minister now that when this lawsuit came out saying that he drank all the time what did he 
or all the little pricks that take his photo, what did they do? What was the first thing they did? They took a picture of him with a cooler on his desk and two cup holders, and they put his iPad on there and a bottle of wine on the floor, and they tweeted out a photo, right? Mm -hmm. They think it's funny. They think it's cute. So you think all of a sudden, Devin Dreeshan had his come to Jesus moment and decided to resign after tweeting a photo of him with a drink cooler on his desk? Uh Uh-uh. But again, I do not, and I'm going to spell it out. I do not want to come across like I'm gleefully celebrating the fact that the guy's going to seek help for for an alcohol problem. That's not funny. And it's and, and, and I feel for him in a way. I mean, I feel for him in the sense that I would feel for anybody where alcohol or something else has become a problem in their life. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's and, you know, I mean, that's not that's obviously not something that people should be laughing about. But with regards to like, you know, whether or not he deserves credit for the resignation, I mean, he said it's the best for Alberta and he's probably right. He's 100 percent right. Charlotte says it's the, the level of lying by this premier and other politicians is so disturbing. Why do we let them get away with it? I don't know. Maybe we're having a moment on the show right now. I mean, for me to call, I mean, typically I took a bit of a swipe during that roundtable <laughs> and I don't think Richard necessarily appreciated it where I was like, he was the, the winner of the premier's gold award of excellence back when people respected the office. But listen, they always want to respect the office, but there have been premiers that that I or other political commentators, other talk show hosts has not necessarily jived with, but there's always been a real level of respect for the office, right? In the same way that there was always respect for the office of the presidency, even though there was a total disaster in there for four years. Jason Kenney has done something to this premier's office that no other premier has done, which is just degrade it. And, you know, I tweeted a couple of weeks ago. I basically said, like, you know, if you don't take issue with how this government this is a paraphrase, but if you don't take issue with how this government operates, you're not acting in the best interest of Alberta. And a lot of people kind of well, some people pushed back on it and said, like, that's a little insulting that you're going to imply that I don't if I don't you know, if I don't push back on this premier, I don't care about the province. All I'm saying is it's about time that more people stood up and said enough. Like you're running roughshod around here, demolishing the reputation of this proud province and these proud four and a half million people. And today, this is why I think this is a significant development, because this is something that is not being denied anymore. And it's something that, quite frankly, whether Minister Dreeshan, former Minister Dreeshan, thought that it was something to snicker about and post a cheeky photo. Well, he's out of the ministry now. So it's obviously not a laughing matter to the premier's office. This premier that's trying to stave off a revolt. I mentioned Todd Lowen, and this is something else that we were uh, ruminating about the other day. You know, Todd Lowen was out. Drew Barnes out. You know that those two are just licking their chops to see what's going to happen with Brian Jean, by the way. Right. But when those two were critical and especially critical of the premier and of the party, they were booted. They're sitting as independents. That was not the case with Angela Pitt in Airdrie. It's not been the case with, uh, I mean, Leela here who joined us on the show that's not been the case like I'm really curious to see because Jason Kenney's got to sign off on these nomination papers for Brian Jean to run under the UCP banner in this by-election in Fort McMurray I am very curious to see what premier's going to do about this because part of me thinks why on earth would he let him run why on earth would he it's like letting a fox into the hen house if you're Kenny. And at the same time, you sort of think, what would a confident leader do? And the confident leader would let him run. 
I don't know if Brian G. We've we've got an interview request in with him. I'm hoping that he'll agree to talk to us early next week. I'm curious, like if he does not get the sign off from the UCP, will he run as an independent? Or will he run for the Wild Rose Independence Party? Or will he run, you know, under some other banner? I'd be curious to see. I don't know. There were a lot of rumblings that Brian Jean was going to run for the leadership of the Alberta Party. Uh, why didn't I ask Barry Morishita about that? Oh, my gosh. I've left a few questions on the table this well, week. We can have them back. No, nah, I've left a few on the table. How did I not ask Leela here why she's not calling for Devin Dreeshen's resignation? I mean, here it is. We see it on... I mean, hey, It's man. on a Friday, though. Like, that's the other thing that I, I just noted this is what always happens with well not just with this government but um every <laughs> government friday let's bury it it's, it's like shh let's just get it people are you know focused on the weekend now they're not they're not necessarily paying attention yeah kelly Except says it's, for real talk yeah <laughs> somebody said I, I just lost the comment it refreshed but somebody says whatever's in that coffee it might be lousy but it's supercharged chespo's on a roll today <laughs> i was up late last night morning came early this is what happens I had a oh, do I do we have time it's yeah it's Friday we can tell a little story can we tell a little story story time one of the coolest experiences of my life was I don't know was it 10 15 years something like that and a friend of mine out of Calgary grew up in the Sioux he grew up in Sioux St. Marie and he was good childhood friends with Marty Turco Canadian Olympian longtime goaltender for the Dallas Stars and uh, he goes hey the Dallas is in town in Edmonton Marty's here he goes you want to come out with us I'm like what do you think so I go out with him, Marty Turco. He had this, he had this like sort of like zit faced little teenager that was his backup goalie at the time, a guy by the name of Mike Smith. You might have heard of him. He's the starting goalie for Edmonton Oilers now. So I'm hanging out with Marty Turco and Mike Smith. It's like literally like 15 years ago, and, and we're getting into one. We're having a great time. It's story time. The beers are flowing. We're having a great time. And all of a sudden, it occurs to me. All, all of a sudden, I'm like, wait a second. Both goaltenders are here. <laughs> Who's playing tomorrow night? <laughs> and, Tur- and Turco says to me, sometimes when you're playing guilty, you're going to play the best game of your life. And I'll tell you, <laughs> he did. He had a great game the next night. They beat the Oilers. And I thought playing guilty, there's a bit of a thing there. You stay up late. You show up to work in the morning. Every once in a while, you can play guilty. Now, it's not lost on me that we're having this conversation right after talking about drinking from a minister, right? And, and I know you're wincing right now. This I was is, wincing. This is real talk. <sighs> I don't mind having these conversations. I don't mind having conversations around when is it appropriate or inappropriate to have alcohol in the... Ju- like, Sam, we joke about it all the time. We have a beer fridge here in the studio. Absolutely, we do. Right? It's Friday. After this show wraps, probably, you know, a beer's going to be cracked. We're going to talk about it. Now, what is that? That's alcohol in the workplace. I'm not going to be some hypocrite mm. that's going to sit here and talk about like, oh, the minister had like, and that's why I think it's important to talk about the Sky Palace photo too. Like I did not have a problem with wine on the table at a, at a dinner with, I, I think it's, it's naive to suggest that they're not going to have wine on the table, but I think we need to talk about when does it become problematic? <laughs> when does it interfere with the job? When are you letting down people that hire you or people that you work for? I don't know where do you, I mean you're nodding your head where do you land on this I, I think I have to agree with you just sort of on the like yeah a working dinner wine is appropriate it, it's it's all of these different elements added up together right I mean yeah, former premier now opposition leader Rachel Notley is a big fan of craft beer it was often that she would be seen with a beer in her hand at events that was that was common right she was a friend to the craft beer industry so you know we kind of have to take take i don't want to say both sides here but just sort of like understand that there's nuance to the discussion now 
where the problem comes in for me is that the impulse is to cover up and lie about everything, right? If if Jason Kenny was steering the ship rightly through the pandemic and everybody was on side and we had a great plan and we had a competent health minister and, and you know, there wasn't this looming fourth wave back in the summer and he took a, a working dinner and had people, you know, sort of appropriately spaced out on a balcony and had a couple bottles of wine and was the type of person that kept churning out good policy and good quality governance, we would probably be a lot more forgiving to that. Yeah. It is the fact that this premier is an incompetent liar that over and over and over again, you know, it is first impulse and his minister's first impulses is to sweep it under the rug and yeah. say, you're, you know, you're not looking at the right thing. Gaslight everybody. You know, if if that wasn't his impulse, we wouldn't be reading as much into the Sky Palace photo as we are. Craig says the Sky Palace issue was that it was during a time when nobody was allowed to go out and have a beverage with anybody and they were breaking their own regulations. Yeah. Craig, Craig hits the nail on the head. Exactly. That's exactly it. Craig, you nailed it. Uh, you know, BV says the problem wasn't the wine on the table. The problem was the Mad Men office behavior. Ken says there's a big right. difference with wine or beer at dinner and hard liquor in your office. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, I I don't even know if this, you know, Eris Estrella says, Jess, but the difference here is you have alcohol in the workplace, but you're not drinking it while you're working it. You're drinking after. I don't know. Sure. I mean, I, I you know, it's 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 a judgment call. And there's going to be, uh, you know, people that'll say, you know, I mean, I, I you know, I've got a, a buddy of mine's dad. I remember bringing cigars over to their house when when we found out that we were pregnant. And um, and this is a guy that I love like my own father. And uh, and and I offered him a cigar and he declined. Uh, and I was a little surprised, but he declined because he quit smoking like 30 years ago. Mm. And he said, for me, he's like, it means a lot. Beautiful cigar. He's like, for me, if I like if I puff on a cigar, I'm buying a pack of smokes tomorrow. And he's like, I just can't. Whereas I like, you know, I mean, I'll I'll hammer back a cigar and it doesn't occur to me to smoke cigarettes and it's not going to be a problem for me. These are this is a case by case basis. And maybe there are some people that I mean, I think that there are like black and whites here. I think that if you're bringing vodka into your workplace at eight o'clock in the morning, I don't care if alcohol is not a problem for you. Alcohol is clearly a problem for you. If you're bringing vodka into the workplace and hiding it from people, these are red flags for other people. You know, in the middle of a work day, you might have a working lunch. I include myself in this. I'll tell you the truth. I'll shoot straight. I'll go have a glass of wine at lunch with a partner on real talk or with somebody that we're meeting with. And that's not a problem for me because I'm not, first of all, going to go have six more. And, and so for me, I operate by my own parameters. I think that we hold up politicians under a different lens. I think that there's certain accountability when you're representing the public. I think that inebriation at work is never acceptable. I mean, so so I do think that there are some black and whites here. I think there are some areas of gray here. Let me just say, not everything we talk about here on the show is going to find total resolution. I just love that we are talking about it. And so you can let us know what you think anytime. You can send us an email to talk at ryanjesperson.com. I mean, I think it's worth noting that I do not drink. Yeah. And there is a beer fridge in here. And I like the there's beautifully well-stocked sparkling water at all times, which I love. Um, sparkling nothing. water quality went way up when Sarah joined the team. <laughs> That's true. Way up. And that I is appreciate true. that. Um, I, I don't know where I stand on this yet. I'm I'm ha I'm having all kinds of feels 
um, with well, I this think conversation. You can, you can probably tell that I'm working it out a little yeah. bit as well, out loud. Yeah. Just so happens that thousands of people are going to be hearing it. <laughs> Yeah. But but you know what? Uh, sometimes I'll go back. We do you know what we call an air check, and and we'll go back and 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 we'll sort of sift through what we said or positions I took, and and sometimes I wince at things I say. Hmm. Like sometimes I'll look back and say, I think I missed the mark on that one a little bit, and that's part of it. Like this is not some pulpit that I'm going to stand on and preach from where everything is true, uh, but it's always said in earnest, hmm. right? I mean, this is this is how I feel. And uh, you know, I mean, what about this from Arf, who says, does it apply to cannabis? You know, wake and bake, head into the office. Fair comment. Fair comment. I mean, some people in the creative arts will say that cannabis actually is, is somewhat of a stimulant in, in the sense that it's like a performance enhancing drug. Like they do better work working on cannabis. Um, if you're operating heavy equipment, if you're driving a forklift and you're stoned, terrible idea. Uh, maybe that's another. Maybe that's in you know, a says I had a shot of Bailey's in my coffee this morning. Like, is that a problem? Probably not. I don't know. For an alcoholic, I, apparently you're not supposed to say alcoholic anymore, by the way. What? Yeah. I talked to somebody the other day that, that told me that alcoholic is actually really harmful language and it's not preferred. I thought it was interesting. You know, maybe we should get into that. You know, what we should get into is like the power of words. Let's do a segment on that. Like, you know, words and the evolution of language and certainly, like, you know, like, for example, that is I'm sorry. I'm still just like, yeah, no, you're, you're apparently not supposed to say the word alcoholic. That anymore. I, I disagree with. Okay, but like you don't drink, so like someone would say like, "Where's why does why does it matter?" I don't mean to be. Well, I'm, I would. I like. Hmm. You're not an alcoholic, right? No, speak freely. Like it's like if someone said like, "I prefer the they them pronouns," it doesn't matter what I think about that. That's what they think. That's what they. I, that's what they are. That's what they pre- want to be referred to as. It's not my opinion. Doesn't matter. <sighs> I just I like I'm I'm just weighing my options on how much I want to say. That's fair. Totally fair. Totally fair. But I would say that there is experience in this realm for me. Okay. So and that's where I'm going to leave it for now. That's fair. Hoyles. And and to be honest, you signed up to produce the show, not to have to wear your heart on your sleeve every single day. And I really appreciate that. I I appreciate. Let me just put it on the record. I appreciate what both of you bring to the table. Uh, It's not a small thing to 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 have someone like me all of a sudden just say what do you think and then you're on the record and like you're on camera like sharing your personal opinions about some pretty supercharged subject matter and i really appreciate both of you sam and sarah uh you know um bv says i i think i've cited bv three times today on the show there should be some sort of a prize for that if you get your comments read three times in one show I think of Jillian. I think of Fatima. There are others. I think of Kim. There are people that they get their comments. They, they should have. There should be some sort of exclusive club. Maybe they get like a real talk headband or something you could wear. Like I'm, I'm picturing. What was that Will Ferrell movie in the basketball team? Like we could get like the, the headbands that would be. Do you guys remember that one? And the tropics. The, the the jerseys were white and blue and yellow. I know somebody's going to come up with it on the live chat. You know, we should get real talk headbands. That'd be cool. Uh, but BV says alcoholic is a label, and labeling people with mental illness is problematic. There, I mean, the where things are kind of leading is like you don't say someone is homeless. You say that they are like without without a home. They are experiencing houselessness. Someone is um, someone that is uh, like has mental illness. They are living with mental illness. It's yes. not they are mentally ill. Yes. So it's about that. They it's not saying that it that it, it defines them. It is something that they are experiencing. Yeah. Which is, is, is kind of where things are moving right is, so i guess you could say i guess you know someone could say i'm not an alcoholic um i 
experience uh i struggle with alcohol yes it's, it's like, um, but it's, have you noticed that more and more people are saying, um, you know, so you, you don't say like, oh, look at the homeless dude. People say this is a person experiencing homelessness or houselessness, right? Um, so, yeah, interesting. I love when we just hang out on. There's like always a different vibe on Friday. Plus, I kind of feel like we're, we're backstage right now and I'm just getting ready to like rock and roll for five minutes with trash talk. And, and so like, here's another example. Like Michelle says, like, this is this to me is one of the black and whites. This is not an area of gray. Michelle says we had a guy come to take down 10 trees on our property. And she says the dude was way baked. He went to his truck for his chainsaw and came back reeking of weed. And I checked on him a lot. Like if you're falling trees on someone else's property using a chainsaw, you shouldn't be getting stoned. And and like I'm a cannabis guy. Like I'm trust me. Like you know, I and I'm pretty like easy peasy with it. Like I'm, I don't say don't get stoned and drive. Don't get stoned and operate heavy machinery. Don't get stoned and and, and run chainsaws. But like I'm pretty like chill with it. That's that's ridiculous. Like, let's call it what it is. Yeah, I had, I was getting my roof reshingled and <laughs> I took the dog out for a walk and I came around the corner and the guys were up on the roof. Yeah. High up there, smoking a fatty. And I was just like, dude, like, I know, I know it's legal. I totally don't care. But you're, A, you're working and be your way up there, dudes. Mm. Just like. Yeah. Not safe. Not safe. Ashley says, uh, people are talking about how they handle booze in their home. Um, This is an interesting one. Ashley says, you know, if we're having alcohol uh, and our boys ask to try it. Oh, boy. She says, we let them. They are six and three. Uh, My parents did the same. And booze has never been this mysterious thing. I'm I'm assuming that Ashley's not pouring like three finger scotches for her three year old. I have no doubt that Ashley is a phenomenal parent. But you take a look and people oftentimes cite France, but I think all of European culture to a certain degree, it's the same sort of a thing. Like it's not this big thing for 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 a child eight or 10 or 11 to like have a tiny little sip of wine to like experience it. And you take away the mystery of it. Gosh, I could start getting into the abstinence culture and I could start getting into talking yeah. to your kids about sex and condoms and the same sort of thing. When there's this big mystery around something, it's way more likely to be a problem. And I mean, I, I don't know all the ins and outs of it, but I, I understand that, you know, some places in Europe allow kids to be in pubs, that there isn't that, you know, like a uh, certain age uh, then folks are allowed in, but exact countries cannot name them. Yeah. <laughs> We're talking, there's this amazing uh, conversation going on in the live chat about language. And uh, gosh, I just, I, can I just profess my love again for you, real talkers? I just, I love you. I love how you just take something and go with it. You inspire us and our editorial process, which is awesome. Uh, <laughs> Jill says, hobo is my favorite word, but I feel like it's not politically correct. Like if I'm lost or confused, I call myself a hobo, kind of like the littlest hobo TV show. Yeah. Well, if you're talking about a German shepherd, I don't think the German shepherds are going to get offended by this. Um, I, I think we should talk about uh, the word alcoholic. I think we should. Let's do a follow up on that. That's something that's something cool. I look forward to it. Well, if you're in 12 step recovery and you're in AA, you're in Alcoholics Anonymous. Yes. And at every meeting you're saying, hi, I'm so and so and I'm an alcoholic. 100 percent. So. You know, what's going to happen is that somebody that's listening to this is going to send us an email that's going to shine some real light on this. And I appreciate it. it. Whomever you are in advance, thank you to talk at RyanJesperson.com. This is a great opportunity to remind you that we have recently launched as of November 1st, our email of the month uh, contest, which means that 
every month as on the first or as close as we get to it, we're going to look back to an email that really resonated with us. And if you are the winner of our email of the month contest, you are going to receive in the mail at no cost to you a brand new Real Talk mug and uh we're looking forward to how real talkers pick up on that if you want to just sort of skip the waiting game and get your hands on a real talk mug or real talk golf balls or t-shirts or vinyl stickers or snapback caps or what have you perfect in time for the holiday season these stocking stuffers you can pick up real talk merch anytime at ryanjesperson.com the really cool thing about those stickers is you can have a real talk water bottle you, you can have a real want. talk vehicle you can have a real talk computer anything you want just slap that sticker on i love it you can even troll your neighbors you can put real talk stickers on their cars no all right that's a black and white for you i am drawing the line okay Fair enough. I guess that would technically count as vandalism, wouldn't it? It's like soft. It's like soft vandalism. It's soft vandalism. The stickers come off. But yeah, maybe stick to. I guess all I'm trying to do is like boost sticker sales. I mean, like, you know, I mean, put real talk stickers on every car on your street. Although people might get a little bit annoyed at us, which is not what we endeavor to do. Each and every Friday. As we wrap up our broadcast slash podcast week, our friends at Local Waste provide us an opportunity to get a few things off our chest. These are all real emails that have been received to our inbox. And uh, well, right now, I'm going to hand things off to one of the youngest real talkers going. uh, Warwick, take it away. It's time for Trash Yeah, Warwick, you hit it out of the park. Now, earmuffs on, little guy, because it's about to get uh, NSFW, if you know what I mean. This first one, out of the gates from Rose Marie. It's not Rosemary, it's Rose Marie, which I think is a beautiful name. She says, hey, hey, Jesper, I don't follow Major League Baseball that much, but I happen to tune into the World Series in Atlanta. After all this talk about the indigenous communities and, and, and reconciliation, I was appalled at Braves fans chopping and chanting the native war song i promptly turned it off and later i read that somebody at the game actually became offended and actually left the world series game and i don't blame that person is it only canada that's aware of this movement why have americans not caught up it's time for the atlanta braves to change their name that from rose marie This from Jackie, who says it's time. The clock has run out. The buzzer has sounded on the semicolon. I totally disagree, Jackie. She says that comma and that dot combo used to break up two thoughts in a sentence. First off, the the semicolon, it's ugly. It's messy. It's busy. It's time to move on to the M dash. That's the extra long dash. It's beautiful, slick, and simple. If you need to cling desperately to the semicolon, keep it when you text or tweet a winky face, exclamation point, Full stop. That from Jackie. I find that the problem with semicolons is that nobody actually knows how to use them. People use them improperly. That's what grinds my gears as a bit of a grammar nerd myself. You can don't. Punctuation nerd, to be clear. Let Jackie just have her word, okay? Let Jackie just have her moment. Yeah. I don't need to respond. This is like when you send letters to the editor into newspapers, and every once in a while in italics, they'll respond and be like, good point, great letter. We'll see what happens. That's like a yeah, but. No, yeah, there's but. no yeah, but. Back to the emails. This from Loretta, who says, quick note to those of you that are apparently eating those little Halloween candies for the first time. I know that it's super duper exciting to be able to crush tiny chocolate bar after tiny chocolate bar with nobody keeping count. But here's what prompted my email to the best damn streaming show and podcast on the World Wide Web. Atta girl, Loretta. She says, you need to stop. She said, put the wrappers in the appropriate receptacle. What kind of barn type upbringing did you have where it was acceptable to drop the empty wrappers 
back into the candy bowl. Here I am thinking I'm all stocked up with Twix and Coffee Crisp and Smarties. And when I go to dig in, turns out I couldn't be further from the truth. Here I am stuck with nothing but lousy candy corn and crappy caramels. And I guess I'm all here to say uh, we can do better. So here's to a smarter performance next Halloween. And have a great weekend, Real Talkers. That from Loretta, who's apparently buried in tiny little chocolate bar wrappers. I feel your pain, girl. This from Connor McCannabis, who says just a message about all those news stories we saw warning that there was like cannabis in kids' candies. It's not a thing. Connor says nobody spends what edibles cost just to give them away. If they accidentally do, though, however, your child may not like it, but will still feel fine in a couple of hours. Have them take a nap. Don't call 911. Don't take them to the hospital. An ambulance may not even come. By the time a doctor sees you, the thing will be over anyway. Instead of stigmatizing cannabis or people who use drugs, try to remember that nobody in history has ever died from cannabis, and the real danger is car accidents. Pedestrians hit cars. Uh, oh, pardon me. Pedestrians. There's nothing more annoying than pedestrians hitting cars, am I right? Right, jerks. He says, pedestrians hit by cars. The numbers jump on Halloween, so keep those kiddos safe. That from Connor McCannabis. That's a great point. And it's true. Nobody's giving away edibles to kids. Is, has the whole razor blade and apples thing ever been... That's not, that's not a real thing, right? I mean, it's not like a real thing. Uh, b- besides, who hands out apples on Halloween? Okay, okay. back to the voice. All right, this from Brad. All right. <laughs> Brad says, I, I, I listened to your interview with Leela here. Uh, is there something wrong with me? I got no indication of sincerity. Sounded good, but like there was like these really long answers with nothing there. Um, it's all carefully focused to criticize the premier's leadership. Great. But she didn't actually speak about specifics. Like she thinks that this big long list, Jespo, of all these names she would be good leaders. The education minister really after this curriculum after what they did with schools during covid does she have blinders on all they've all done all these ministers is cower and hide like mice and let kenny be king and i'm not buying any of it and by the way jesperson the interview was a little softball-ish and i'd love to see people hung out to dry that from a guy who's never produced a talk show before and this no i'm just kidding i can't hang everybody out to dry all the time but i don't think it was this a softball be honest be honest was that a softball interview with leela here I think you took her to task on on a few things, um, but, but also like, can I say something about my interview style? This is I shouldn't be doing this during trash talk. But like my interview style is like it's pretty conversational, right? I mean, I was like, hey, listen, motherfucker, like that's not really kind of how I interview. But, but I, I get some people want to see it; they want to see hand grenades all the time. But that's not oftentimes how to do a good interview. That and you, you're like we want to be able to have people feel that they can come on the show and, and not just get piled and on. Got, get piled on, and they, there has to be like a level of decorum and respect. Remember what I was just saying to Amy Westervelt? How sometimes I get defensive. This is me being defensive, but I totally appreciate the email. As a matter of fact, coming up in a couple of weeks, as you'll be able to see from our Real Talk panel, uh, the question of the week uh, leading up to our one year anniversary, we're doing a completely focused exclusive trash talk jespo segment where i am only it's the equivalent of mean tweets and i'm only reading emails that roast me that's coming up in a couple of weeks this from scott to wrap it up on what's been one of my favorite shows of all time by the way he says i just wanted to point out all these people that are like cheering for brian jean's public coup attempt against jason kenny this is not a good thing says scott gene in many ways is cut from the same cloth as kenny he's been accused of using public resources during the ucp leadership race he had legislative assembly uh, uh, staffers from the office the lao office working on government time for his campaign leading to a purge of staff once jason won including former mla turned mp layla goodridge i also remember how he took what can only be described as glamour shots 
shots at the Butter Dome during the Fort McMurray fire. Ooh. He says, and those worried about Kenny's policy decisions, you really think that a premier will have come in by relying on his old Wild Rose colleagues to commit a coup? You think he's going to make fewer hard right political decisions, including how to handle COVID-19? Kenny is indeed a problem, says Scott, but Gene is not the solution. And that marks this week's rowdy edition of Trash Talk. Thanks for your emails. You can send them in anytime. Don't wait till Friday. We keep them piling up. And then every Friday, this is our tradition. We push out the podcast on Saturdays too. So share Trash Talk with those that you think would love to hear it. A shout out to Warwick who teed it up for us today. Have a great weekend, Real Talkers. Monday's show is going to be dynamite. Keep it safe out there. And we'll talk to you soon. Real Talk is hosted by Ryan Jesperson. Editorial producer, Sarah Hoyles. Technical producer, Sam Brooks. Managing director, Josh Dunford. Account coordinator, Tanya Franklin. Merchandise operations, Katie Cook-Chivers. Website design, Mike Johnston. Voiceover by me, Carrie Skelton. Real Talk's editorial board is Sapria Duvetti, Ahmed Ali, Ann Castleman, Corey Hogan, Julie Rohr, Harmon Candola, Catherine O'Neill, and Chris Henderson. Real Talk is recorded in Edmonton, Alberta on Treaty 6 territory, the traditional and ancestral territory of the Cree, Dene, Blackfoot, Salto, and Nakota Sioux, home to Métis settlements and the Métis Nation of Alberta. Real Talk is the flagship property of Relay Communications Group Incorporated. All rights reserved. For more, check out ryanjesperson.com.